0: So, what are we going to talk about today? Madeline Albright, woohoo! One less mm. asshole. Okay, you know what? She should have she should have been tried by Iraqis. So that's the only You're sad smoking. thing about all that is that Q's still cutting out. Um, okay, so who thinks that if somebody wants to come up and talk about Madeline Albright or anything else, come on up. I'm gonna hold the fort down while Q.
1: Are you serious yeah, again? Yeah. Well, I, I I cut out again.
0: Ten seconds
1: jesus christ um i don't know what to do because i can't like come out and come back in again uh it's whatever we'll have to we'll have, have to push device? through it like, no or... no and the thing is like the iphone is is like the device that uh yeah the iphone is like the device that this was made for even my ipad doesn't uh uh perform that well compared to the iphone whatever we'll push through it um
0: okay. right now you're good yeah. and the audio quality is good so there you go
1: okay okay um, um maybe it's because of where i put my phone i think maybe there's like an area in my room that if i put my phone down there's like a i don't know like a virtual faraday cage or something that just bounces the signal i have no idea uh, i don't know oh, okay. or maybe c has got me who the fuck knows
0: <laughs> just hold it up hold it up above your head up. yeah
1: exactly you know let uh, let my uh you know my my decrepit body act as an antenna um <laughs> so yeah uh we out here we smoking on that albright pack you know
0: oh I mean, you know, on the one hand, it is always pleasant, and and partly I think it's not just that these ghouls die because you know everybody dies eventually. It's that all the liberals start like freaking out when you like make fun of the fact that they're dead. I love that. Yeah. That to me, is yeah. like, <laughs> that gives me life. You know,
1: cry harder. <laughs> you know, but what? How is it that? How is it that Henry Henry Kissinger? How is he? How is he still alive?
0: I don't. I don't know. I don't He's know. He's just he powered is. by spite. I yeah, I mean, I don't remember no. the last time I heard him talk, but um he sounds like come
1: go, but Kissinger, Kissinger remains.
0: Yeah, he sounds like like literally the Grim Reaper. And
1: <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how these people are alive, or or for example, even like someone like Nancy Pelosi, who is obviously alive. I mean, I guess you
1: Yeah, that. but like she um, like looks embalmed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, She goes home and sleeps in a bath of formaldehyde. So we we know how she's sticking around.
0: (laughs) And and it's like, why do you have to be like, even like, why can't she just like relax in a beach somewhere? You know, like she's got all the money in the world from all that insider trading.
1: Because it is, it's profitable to remain in office. Like, I, I guess as like Canadians, it's difficult to understand because our public servants, tend to like, you know, they'll, they'll spend X amount of time in public office. And then when it becomes apparent that they are not going to become prime minister or premier or, um, you know, they've like spent enough time, they're probably not going to get moved to the upper chamber, to the Senate. Um, then they go into like private practice. Right. So, you know, there's like former, there's former like cabinet ministers that are working in law offices now, you know, or, or they're lobbyists. Uh, they work for think tanks like that's that's what you go and do like you 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 serve a number of years in a career as a public servant in canada and then you fuck off to private practice until you die but in the in the u.s it doesn't quite work that way like private practice private practice and lobbying etc that's your retirement plan it's mm-hmm. basically a sinecure you don't really have to do much you just check in and i don't know like do your hours and make your phone calls Uh, you know, shake some hands, make sure that money gets exchanged. And that's pretty much it. Like, like I say, it's a pretty awesome position if you can get it. So why does somebody like Pelosi stick around? Because it makes her money.
0: I don't know, man. I would just imagine, like, if I just had, like, maybe a few million, that would probably be enough for me. I don't know. These people have, like, so much money, and it never seems to be (laughs) enough for
2: them.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, you're thinking about enough to get you by in life. You know, that's not what somebody like Nancy Pelosi is thinking. Right? That's not that's what that's not what anybody in Congress is thinking really. What they're thinking about is generational money. They're thinking about like how like are they making enough money that two three, like their trusts are their trusts going to last multiple generations? That's where they're going with it. Like they're essentially the American aristocracy. So the idea of stepping down because you've done enough doesn't like it doesn't even enter their minds. Claire McCaskill is like like absolutely fucking senile. Claire McCaskill does not have to brain synapses that actually connect and she's going to be running again so i like i understand the the i understand the bafflement but when you're making that much money uh when you're able to pull that much in donations when you're able to pull strings for your donors that your trades are popping why would you leave what is the incentive
0: i guess i'm just not that greedy. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not like I'm not I'm not into poverty. I don't want to be poor, but like, well, I that's because you're a good really, person, Karen. I don't need to be like a fucking zillionaire. I don't know. How I are you a good a,
1: person trying to understand the motives of bad people? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know.
0: Just doesn't some. Doesn't, I'm missing some pieces <laughs> or something. Like,
1: yeah. So as to Madeline Albright, um, you know. Well, first of all, one thing I just want to one thing I just want um, uh, to say with regards to Madeline Albright, uh, or rather. I'm. I'm going to let the the room here. Um, well, hold on a second. Are you all actually hearing? Are you all actually hearing anything from the PC? No. Just hearing you. Oh my God. No. Okay. Never mind. Uh, well, that failed. Um, the uh the infamous 60 Minutes interview. Do you remember that?
0: Yes, I do. That is seared into my memory.
1: So, uh, I like. Where I, I don't know. Where do, you, where do you want to start with this? Like.
0: Well, for anybody, who do you want to do
1: show... you want to give people the chronology of the Iraq war? Because I think for some younger people, it's like reducing her to a couple of sound bites, I think, is um, I don't know. It's 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 too cute by half. Like you have to understand her life story and her tenure as secretary of state because she she truly is an awful human being. But I think people hear like the one soundbite and have judged her awfulness based on that alone. And I, I think yeah. you have to go a little bit deeper than that. So would you be able, like, would you be able to give a bit of a backgrounder to um,
0: yeah, secretary just, Albright? Honestly, I haven't done like super deep research into her life, but I can definitely go over what I personally know and what I have studied little, a little, little, right. little bit of research, but yeah. So she was, um, uh, you know, I, I remember actually in the nineties cause uh, you know, I was just sort of learning about American history a little bit and, I was young. I was whatever, pretty young. So but I remember that there was such a big thing that, oh, my God, first female secretary of state. You know, that was a big deal. And she represented, you know, the sort of the triumph of, you know, liberal feminism and the triumph of the sort of 80s, you know, working, uh, working woman, you know, in taking over corporate America and all that. And and so, you know, it was very much and she was under the secretary of state under Bill Clinton um so there was the 90s were a weird time in the u.s man that's where i was in the u.s at the time and it was a very weird and now looking back i totally see that triumphalism you know that sort of constant sense of like like it was like the whole decade was a like a long line of cocaine or something like it was just like this incredible um like horrible time that like felt like you were just on the highest high of the roller coaster anyway um So she was, um, as I understand it, she uh, also worked under Zbigniew Brzezinski, who is this very, who is basically like. Zbigniew Brzezinski. Yeah. If you think of everything that's wrong with like Kissinger, like he's like Kissinger's daddy. Okay. Yeah. Like he basically taught Kissinger everything.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so sorry.
0: What
1: was that? <laughs> <laughs> remember the audio that i was trying to pipe through earlier well it oh, just okay hit. sorry there about you that know. okay yeah. no
0: problem so um, so anyway so brzezinski basically is was this i don't know you can read up about him it's a weird name his daughter actually works on uh msnbc now because brzezinski is his yeah. daughter um anyway uh so he was uh so she worked under him And she learned a lot from him, okay? So she was basically like a female Kissinger, okay? You can think of it that way. Um, But, of course, it's more complicated than that. So she did work under – she did serve under um, Bill Clinton as Secretary of State. Um, She was responsible – She, I think – didn't she oversee the – like everything, including the bombing in, like, Yugoslavia – And as well Mm -hmm. as, of course, the sanctions um, in Iraq, which is what she's most probably known for on the left is the um, the famous thing where she was one of the people who oversaw these horrific sanctions in Iraq. And this is before America went in and destroyed, you know, bombed the shit out of Iraq in 2003. But even in the 90s and even earlier than that, like even in the uh, late 80s and early 90s, the U.S. started to put all these sanctions on Iraq, like medicines were blocked, you know, uh, food items were blocked, and this affected the the people. I mean, this is what they're trying to do right now in Russia, for example, but um, they tried to squeeze squeeze iraq and they thought that you know like a lot of liberals still think today that this is not war it's like somehow it's better than It's to sanction a country um so but it's basically like tying somebody down and holding them hostage you know so it's like is that better than like actually beating them beating the shit out of them i don't know <laughs> so um yeah. Uh, so anyway, so it killed a lot of people in Iraq, uh, destroyed their economy. It actually weakened their economy so that the U.S. was actually 10 years or whatever later, even a few years later, able to go in and actually take over the whole country, right? Which is what they did for the last right. 20 years. So anyway, but I, that's the basic. And then she was on TV saying basically, oh, yeah, the price was worth it. That's the, that's the audio clip that I think.
1: Yeah. And right. yeah, I'll run that for you right now.
2: We have heard that a half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died when, when in, in Hiroshima. And, and you know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very
0: hard choice, but the price, we think the price is worth it.
1: Yeah. So that was the Punishing Saddam episode from the uh, May 12, 1996 edition of sixteen Minutes. And yeah, uh, she's being asked if the... Uh, the death of 500,000 Iraqi children. And I mean, this is just children. We're not talking about uh, their parents, family members, et cetera. But like, you know, people died of uh, starvation, lack of access to medicine, and for a multitude of other reasons because Iraq was under, you know, some of the most punishing sanctions. And the the idea that sanctions are uh, like a peaceful alternative to war has always been bunk because what you're doing is laying economic siege to a country. So if people aren't able to to get medicine, if they're not able to work, if there's no banking system that is uh, functional, um, that allows uh, banks to offer financing uh, due to uh, whether it's like uh, business deals or loans, um, influxes of capital that are coming in from outside of the country. What you've basically done is economically wall the country within its own borders and force them to uh, depend on themselves as isolationists. And for anybody that uh, attempts to trade with them, open up trade ties, or relieve those economic pressures, well, the United States will then uh, either sanction them too, uh, cut off diplomatic ties and pull tariffs on their goods. So basically, it's not just that country, but anybody that tries to um, relieve that country of the U.S.'s grudge with that country also becomes punished. And in that way, they're able to buffalo other nations, uh, most of the time NATO nations, but you know, uh, oftentimes even broader into uh, the U.N. body. Um, yeah, that, uh, the, uh, the world comes to a hard bitten consensus, whether rightly or wrongly, uh, just because of the sheer amount of power that the U S holds. And because this was in 1996, uh, this is, you know, this is after the dissolution of the USSR, China was, uh, just beginning to come into its own as, uh, I wouldn't even at that time call it an economic powerhouse. It was just more like a, uh, like a middling, uh, developing nation. Uh, so they they were building themselves towards uh, full scale industrialism, but we're not quite there yet. So really, there was no power capable of rivaling the United States at the time, uh, which meant that Iraq was at the mercy of the United States, and it meant the deaths of millions of people. And so, ever since the the Persian Gulf War, I mean, you know, people talk about the uh, the death toll of nine eleven, trying to tie Iraq to nine eleven as if that makes any sense, and. If we're talking about like numbers, you know, we're talking, you know, we're talking less than 4,000 people. Not that this minimizes the death of 4,000 people, but that's simply what it is. And take that in comparison to the death toll inflicted by the United States on Iraq. And we're talking like tens of millions of people over that period of time. So how 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 is it possible to even compare the two? The scale, like the scale is completely, it's it's not comparable. You couldn't draw an infographic that could capture this.
0: And then apparently, I was just looking this up. That you know, I mean, she was she was criticized even at the time for that comment. None of it actually registers for any of these sociopaths. After her tenure as uh, Secretary of State, after uh, I guess George W. Bush uh, became president, she left government and like we were talking about, she went into private, uh, in you know, private uh, whatever capitalist industry. Um, she became. She get that she was on the board of directors of the new york stock exchange okay and then she worked yeah. with uh, george soros um mm-hmm. and all of these other guys and consul on fire relations uh brookings doha center and all that i mean like she's literally the very epitome of imperialism like if, right. if personification and yeah i mean uh you know uh, in a very woke feminist liberal feminist way
1: well i mean i think this was before you could apply the word woke to feminism but uh you know, uh, one of the projects that she engaged with George, George Soros, uh, and, and the, the Rothschild family, uh, it's like, you know, all the, all the, all the bangers, all the heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know how, like it's often mentioned that, uh, internet connectivity in Africa mostly comes through mobile devices. Well, one of the reasons for that is because, uh, the, um, the, uh, the, the private equity firm that they created, um, that is between like, uh, um baron rothschild uh george soros madeline albright, albright and other actors here um yeah they were the ones that either um built cell phone towers uh, across the continent or uh the existing ones already there uh they bought them up and absorbed the companies um that were attempting to build independent uh mobile phone infrastructure so essentially uh the capacity of africans to be able to communicate with one another is held essentially in trust or held in escrow, um, by foreign investors of which, you know, George Soros and, uh, Baron Rothschild hold a, uh, hold a controlling interest. Right. So it's like, there's, there's nothing that she's engaged in over the course of her entire career that wasn't based in either, uh, imperialism, like creating neo-colonial subjects and exploiting them or, you know, for those who resisted just flat out murdering them in response.
0: Like and 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 oh my god and then she has the gall to say trump donald trump is the most un-american anti-democratic leader in u.s history mm-hmm. and it says on her wikipedia page that she in 2016 did you say
1: wikipedia
0: yeah that's what i call it <laughs> <laughs> okay it doesn't deserve to be called by its real thing okay um, go ahead anyway she served as the honorary chair for the world justice project that t- works to lead a global multidisciplinary effort to strengthen the rule of law for the development of communities of opportunity and equity, blah, blah, blah. I can't even fucking say everything. But yeah, I mean, she is like everything that's wrong with the world. Like she embodied it. I. It just makes me even, to even think about her. But I'm glad she's dead. But she should have just really been dead by like having been tried uh, and found guilty of all of our crimes by Iraqis and Africans and, you know, people from the former yugoslavia
1: and all of those places. yeah yeah and you know like there it's not just uh us tankies that are critical of madeline albright i mean like i would say you know most of the rest of the world uh everyone from like academics to politicians um in other parts of the world even even countries that are friendly to the united states are deeply critical of madeline albright um although it is interesting that like uh, you know, after her retirement as secretary of state, um, there was like speculation, e- even coming from uh, the uh, uh, the president of uh, the Czech Republic, uh, Václav Havel, that uh, she, like after he steps down, that she might run next and she, she turned it down. But like, you know, during the nineties, like this was the epitome of girl boss feminism. And it very quickly soured in people's mouths. Once the scope of what the United States had inflicted underneath, uh, underneath her as the secretary of state yeah it it, uh very quickly turned to ashes in people's mouths so uh i don't know i mean i I think it is very easy to say you know rest in piss um it is easy to like pull up that one quote but i think the quote about 500,000 dead rocky children being worth it i think that if anything minimizes how much of a scourge she was to the world outside of the imperial Corps um somebody, but somebody sorry said go ahead that
0: she was also connected with the pyramid scheme herbal Herbalife. i remember that I was
1: she was part of Herbalife. Of her. oh no i didn't know that
0: um geez i'm looking that up now okay well yeah so basically everything evil you can think of that happened in the 90s she was probably part of it and 2000s anyway does anybody else have anything to add to the conversation yeah we are to come up
1: Very gladly taking your calls. So if you have any uh, questions or comments, anything that you want to add to the conversation, any thoughts that you have on the dearly departed Madeleine Albright, uh, we are happy to take your calls on that.
0: Yeah. And while we wait for people to collect their thoughts, what's going on with uh, the NATO? I just saw the the NATO meeting in EU. I just saw that uh, Joe has pushed more sanctions.
1: Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. There's, there's some stuff I want to talk about there, right? Okay. okay. Um, one of the best, by the way, like one of the best uh, um, pieces that I've, I've read on Madeleine Albright um, was written by, uh, it, was, it was written for the um, International, Journal of Contem- Contempor- International Journal of Contemporary Iraqi Studies, uh, and it was written by a scholar by the name of, or two scholars rather, uh, by the name of uh, uh, Dirk Adrian Sens and uh, Raymond Baker. Um, And it was called uh, Madeline's medals, Unlimited Imperialism, Unspeakable Crimes. And uh, they talked about, like, the awards and plaudits that she's received and what it was that she received them for. So I don't know if you've seen, like, people talk about the kinds of pins, like, the diplomatic pins that she would wear, Mm -hmm. um, that she engaged in diplomacy with her, like, her gaudy jewelry. So. Uh, you know, based on like how she felt about a particular world leader that she was meeting with or speaking to, um, in her meetings with them, she would wear different like brooches, um, for the occasion. And for the one where she met with Saddam Hussein, she wore a, a, a brooch in the shape of a snake with ruby colored eyes and people went fucking gaga over it, which is just like that. I mean, that to me is sort of the, that is like a perfect encapsulation of American politics is that. Um, you act as if you are restrained and, uh, putting plenty of subtext into your responses to international criminals, uh, to murderous dictators and so on, like however it is that they want to describe them. And what it really is, is that that is the public face of us diplomacy is this restrained uh, speak softly and carry a big stick is the, the description of it that uh, Theodore Roosevelt came up with. But what you actually do um, without uh, drawing undue attention to it is you inflict absolute misery on the people that don't go along with your economic plan. So in this uh, in this piece, um, they opened up by saying that the calculated destruction of Iraq will rank as one of the greatest war crimes of the 21st century. The fateful decision that knowingly ended, quote unquote, the Iraq state decimated Iraqi society and killed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Iraqi citizens. This was, by the way, you know, back in 2012, we hadn't had the full scope of it. So we weren't talking about millions yet We're taken with great deliberation over the course of more than a decade. Under both Democratic and Republican administrations, the White House ordered bombings, crippling sanctions and ultimately an invasion to dismantle existing national, political and social structures to prepare Iraq for remaking. So here's what they actually go into where it, uh, where it regards, um, you know, Madeleine Albright's like multitude of crimes. Um, they say that uh, uh, she was a staunch champion of regime change in Iraq and quite willing to endorse bombing and sanctions to re- achieve that end. She's never acknowledged or expressed any regret for her role and thus preparing the way for the disastrous invasion and occupation. The assault on Iraq required a complete disregard for international law. Madeleine Albright had a credential, had that credential on hand. Her attitude was vividly conveyed in a well-known exchange with British Foreign Secretary Robin Cook, who argued that the bombing of Balkan states violated international law. Albright's succinct reply spoke volumes that would be instructive for the Iraqi case. Get some new lawyers, she advised Cook. In a now-forgotten 1993 dialogue with Colin Powell, Albright questioned the restraints that the military leadership, chastened by the lessons of Vietnam, sought to impose. What's the point of having this superb military that you're always talking about, asked Albright, if we can't use it? Albright eventually had her way. She considered the relentless bombing of Iraq a strategic success with no mind to the terrible civilian casualties. In an interview with Jim Lehrer, Albright spoke as though Iraq had only one inhabitant, Saddam Hussein, and therefore could be bombed at will. Asked if she regretted not having taken an even stronger action against Saddam, Albright commented with considerable pride. We actually did a lot. We kept him in a strategic box. We bombed very much, if you remember all the maps, always in terms of north and south, we all covers a great portion of Iraq. I think we had him in the box. The total disregard for the impact of the reckless bombing on Iraqi innocents paled, however, before Albright's stunning comment when asked to comment on a 1996 UNICEF report that up to half a million children had died as a result of UN-imposed and U.S.-implemented sanctions. Leslie Stahl of 60 Minutes posed the question simply and directly. We've heard that half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died in Hiroshima. And, you know, is the price worth it? Then the U.S. ambassador to the UN, without questioning the figure or expressing any regret over the stunning loss of innocent lives, addressed the issue as one of policy. I think this is a very hard choice, she said, but the price? We think the price is worth it. Albright later criticized Stall's segment as amounting to Iraqi propaganda. She complained that the question was a loaded one and wrote that I had fallen into a trap and said something that I did not mean. Above all, Albright regretted coming, up, coming across as cold-blooded and cruel, so clearly she understood what a public relations nightmare the comment might create. But less clear in any of the subsequent explanations is any indication that the revelation of those massive deaths Prompted any reconsideration of the calculus that produced such an immoral policy, Madame Secretary repeated, though more diplomatically, her support for the notion that of using military force to remove a dictator. She had learned only the wisdom of stating so plainly her willingness to disregard its costs. Right, so like the idea that it's—I don't know—it's uh, like impolite to talk about the costs of economic and military warfare. It's impolite to talk about what damage you actually inflict on people. It's okay to talk about, for example, keeping Saddam Hussein in a box. It's okay to talk about, like, you know, punishing uh, mad dictators. But w- what, do you, what do you have to do in order to create that outcome? Well, you have to make their civilians suffer, either in order to uh, force a capitulation and a handing over of the regime to one that is more preferable to the United States and UN-aligned nations that approve of this, or that uh, the citizens of that state Um, rise up and overwhelm you and install somebody, again, that's more preferable to U.S. interests. But either way, you're inflicting misery hoping to achieve the end result of regime change, which is not in any way empowering people uh, to embark on their own self-determination. What it is is forcing an outcome that you've basically told people, listen, you've got two choices. You either stay with this uh, regime or you die, or You allow us to implement somebody or overthrow it on our behalf, and we allow you to live. What it looks like after the fact, we have no idea. We offer you no guarantees. All you need to know is that we're in charge now. And I remember after the uh, invasion of Iraq and after um, the complete overwhelm of uh, Saddam Hussein's uh, military, of the Iraqi military, uh, his personal guard after he'd been captured and everything, I do distinctly recall... 60-minute segments and news segments that would show U.S. military commanders um, going to various villages and basically telling them this is how things are going to be done now. And I, I distinctly recall one 60-minute segment where there was a, a U.S. military commander um, in a village outside of uh, Tikrit, if I, if I remember correctly, um, that said, "You're talking to the one in charge now. I'm in charge, not you." And I'm just like, "Holy shit!" Like whatever happened to the narrative of welcoming us as liberators, you've basically, you, you've said that this person is a tin pot dictator, that his people have no self-determination, have no freedom whatsoever. And you send your military over there to tell them, fuck you. I'm in charge. How, like, how does that, how does that even remotely work? But at the time, if you said anything about it, you were, I don't know, described as being a terrorist sympathizer. So, The way that, I guess, like this, uh, you know, neoliberal project works is that as long as you're willing to keep it to polite exchanges when, you know, when exploring the consequences of these actions in public discourse, as long as you're able to keep it polite, then you can hand wave away. You can completely elide the the, uh, civilian cost and the humanitarian cost. And to bring it up is to bring up, uh, is to make people uncomfortable, not because they're sorry for what they did, but because the idea of having to explain 500,000 dead children, the idea of having to explain um, overrunning and invading this country and basically telling the people, listen, you you thought that you were going to get freedom? Fuck that. We're in charge. The idea of, of even talking about that is now beyond the pale. And we're doing it all over again right now with the Russia-Ukraine conflict. This idea that if you talk about what will be the humanitarian costs if NATO gets involved, what is the current humanitarian cost of Shipping all of this money and weapons that's ending up in the hands of ultra nationalists, far right reactionaries and people that are taking the chance to uh, basically like inflict pogroms and public torture and floggings on their neighbors. It's not polite to talk about that. So the way that they can elide that is just by calling you a Russian disinformation agent, just the same way that Madeleine Albright said that Leslie Stahl was engaging in Iraqi propaganda.
0: Yeah. You know. We, every so often, and I'm old enough to have seen this, the same pattern play out over and over, where people, we we start thinking, oh, the empire, you know, they're not learning, you know, it's like, we kind of attribute this to some kind of like, just misunderstanding, some great big misunderstanding. And honestly, it's not, this is not a misunderstanding. They know exactly what they're doing. They
1: always say, this was a, or the invasion of Iraq was a mistake. Mistake? No, that took... That took the approval and willpower of tens of thousands of people. Like all of them were in line with this idea and they achieved the outcome that they wanted. They made a lot of money doing it. The U.S. was able to seize uh, oil assets. Uh, U.S. corporations were able to essentially plunder this country. Uh, A whole lot of people made uh, millions and millions of dollars off of it. What do you mean a mistake? No, it sounds like they got exactly what they fucking wanted. But when you talk about, like, uh, you know, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, nobody's willing to think of Vladimir Putin making, making a mistake. And frankly, like, I don't think he's making a mistake either. I think he's doing exactly what he intends to do. But uh, th- this idea of, like, judging other countries by their actions and judging the United States by its intentions, judging Canada and NATO countries by their intentions, is absolute bullshit. Because all we can do, all we all we have is a record of what has happened. What are What are the outcomes? Economically? Socially, on a humanitarian basis, what are the outcomes of these interventions? And what we do know for a fact is that there isn't one that you can point to since the Marshall Plan. And that's assuming that we're talking about the Marshall Plan in Europe, right? So we're talking about like, you know, Germany, Britain, France, et cetera. But not since there has been American intervention in the European theater um, during World War II and the aftermath of that. Can you say that any country is better off? Then prior to the United States' involvement, and we know for a fact that whenever the United States gets involved in global South nations, um, the outcome is always objectively worse. There isn't one, not one that you can look at when people say people talk about a Chilean miracle, you can say, all right, the Chilean economy is perhaps better now than it was prior to the IND presidency, but keep in mind, the IND presidency was in reaction to a fucking military dictatorship. And what did you do? You inflicted upon them another military dictatorship at the cost of tens of thousands of lives. Thousands and thousands of people just completely disappeared. Profits sent outside of the country that ended up in the pockets of uh, US corporations. So how how can you actually say that it's better? You can say that the, the market is more responsive to Chile that that capital flows into and out of Chile, more out than in. But can you say that it's a success? Well, ask the Chilean people. The answer is absolutely fucking no. They, they, <laughs> they had to make a choice between Gabriel Boric and uh, the son of, of Nazi escapees. So how the fuck can you actually say that this is better? You know, um, uh, uh, before I go on too long, I am also going to make a note that I don't see anybody in the caller queue. Not a single person in the caller queue. I know that you have I know that you have feedback and I have you have thoughts about this. So I'm going to start bullying people. All right. Hit hit the button to join the call or queue so we can have a conversation about this. All right. Karen and I don't show up so we can talk your air off for an hour to an hour and a half. We want to hear your thoughts as well
0: yes please do come up chat with us if we wanted to just do our own thing we would just do a a podcast or a live stream so
1: exactly yeah
0: we we do which we do sometimes but you know this is more of a call in i
1: I mean you know we we do enough we do do enough live streams and i think it's really important to let people have their say on the matter Vinny, what's up Vinny, you can go ahead and unmute by tapping the little microphone button in the lower right hand corner of your screen
2: so
0: um there you go there you go
1: what's up buddy how you doing
3: Oh, man I'm tired I'm tired of all the stuff you were talking about earlier uh of even just uh, you know uh, uh p- providing a little bit of uh, historical context to uh, to the, uh, everything that's going on in, in in the Ukraine absolutely this is what we're, this stuff we're 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 seeing uh even in the uh, uh, ostensibly left uh, spaces here
1: uh here in ottawa it's so Uh, funny uh, how you always like i do and i have to do the same thing it's so funny that when we say like left spaces or left communities whatever you always have to put the word ostensibly or purportedly or supposedly like you have to put these words in front of it to, to modify because it is just very clear that many of these people that claim the same politics that we do just absolutely lack principles
3: no, man, it's, it's it's frustrating as hell, man. It's, and if you say anything, if you say anything, all of a sudden, we're the bad guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, it's very frustrating, uh, especially, you know, uh, it's like everyone gets the, the, the memo uh, uh, from the imperialists when it's time to jump over uh, some kind of conflict. Meanwhile, like forty six thousand people uh, exceeding uh, have been killed in Yemen. Uh, you know, all these other places, you know, you say, uh, you know, the consequences of these things, the consequences are, are already playing out. And, you know, like uh, in, in various other places of the globe uh, with uh, with uh, with U.S., Saudi, uh, Canadian assistance uh, uh, everywhere. You know what I mean? Uh, and uh, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, this uh, the, 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 everything that's been happening in the Ukraine since uh, since uh, since in Ukraine. Sorry, I, I'm still getting uh, getting used to that habit, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, has been shaped. By imperialist uh, powers uh, for since uh, since at least 20, 2014, uh, and I don't know how how this uh, all of a sudden becomes uh, uh, becomes uh, you know we always have to say oh well Putin uh, Putin bad Putin bad well I'm not going to say Putin bad I don't even I, I'm not even going to say that, that that his stuff is illegal right now uh, uh, in in terms of international law we have uh, you know some people uh, uh, here uh, 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 that we know uh, uh, that uh, that specialize in this kind of stuff and uh, you know. Uh, this is a uh, this is a uh, you know according to them uh, this is not a uh, 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 quote unquote an illegal war uh, uh, given the given the past history and so So I don't know. I just wanted to uh, you know uh, first of all uh, thank you to uh, you know for for doing this kind of stuff uh, and second uh, you know we encourage more people to, to get up here and just uh, just say their peace because uh, you know uh, I I got no much, not much else to say.
1: Uh, but
3: uh, but no, that's I told, all. Yeah. I,
1: that's, I appreciate that, that's that you know. I, well, you're right. First of all, you know, I see a lot. I see a lot of. I see a lot of sass in the comments. You know, a whole lot of sassy comments happening up here. But you know, get, get up and get up and talk your shit. Get up and talk about it. Because, like, in my opinion, the only way to really, um, the only way to to that we, as leftists, not a sensible leftist, but the actually existing left, can counteract any of this is by, I guess, like sharpening our rhetorical tools and having these conversations so that we know how to respond. I mean. Whether it's people in our lives, whether it's communities that we organize with that aren't on the same page about these matters, like you, you like the the best thing that you can do is just arm yourself with knowledge and then go out into the world and have these conversations. You know, it's like Rosa Luxemburg said: the most uh, radical act one can undertake is to loudly proclaim the truth. So um, don't like don't be afraid of talking about this shit don't apologize for it, don't wring your hands and have to do things like, uh, well, you know, Saddam Hussein was a dictator and a madman, or, oh, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin is uh, lying and propagandizing, and, you know, he has power. No, don't do none of that shit, because nothing that you say can affect the outcome of anything that uh, Vladimir Putin or the Russian military does. All you can do is talk about what is happening right here in the Imperial Corps. So the, the idea that you have to, like, preface everything that we do with an apology on something that, on behalf of, the actions of people that we are neither governed by nor have any kind of relationship with us is absolutely ridiculous you know just yeah, say and, what you got to say
0: uh, Yeah. Vinny, thank you for oh and up. sorry
1: i'm gonna real quick sandy i noticed that uh you had hopped up into the caller queue but jumped back down come back to the caller queue because we we're about to we we're about to uh call on you oh wait no sandy has gone damn all right have lost her connection sorry, who was that oh uh somebody named uh, Sandia um oh, okay. had hopped into the queue but it looks like it didn't. It wasn't that she like went uh, back into the listeners list. It seems like she might have just lost her connection. But uh, regardless, oh okay. uh, yeah, and Vinny, thank back. you very much for the comment. Appreciate yeah. that.
0: Thanks for coming up, Vinny. Uh, no and and the thing is that we, uh, you know, we who are anti-imperialist and anti-war and anti-NATO, right? We want peace and we want justice. We want like real peace, not like exploitation of uh, Russia and uh, people in Donbass. And everywhere else, at the hands of NATO and the United States, that's what we want. And we have to keep, you know, we we are basically pressured, peer pressured, or whatever. We are pressured to always have to disclaim, oh, we are not pro Putin. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I'm saying this, but I'm so sorry. Please don't think that I'm actually pro Putin. You know, we have to keep putting this fucking disclaimer. It it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah never. Mean, yeah. Meanwhile, the people who are sending billions of dollars in weapons to actual neo Nazis who are lynching people, they don't have to make any apologies. They don't have to make any disclaimers, but we have to make disclaimers, even though we want what's right and good for everybody. They are sending money and weapons to Nazis, yet they don't have to make any. They You never see a liberal saying, oh, I don't support actual neo Nazis lynching, you know, Roma people and everybody else on the street, but, you know, they don't have to put a whole fucking paragraph. Graph of a disclaimer no well, and when you bring it up that.
1: they either say russian disinformation or oh why are you talking about that why are you bringing that up tanky and it's like but i thought you were the people that supposedly cared about human rights right like supposedly i'm the authoritarian that doesn't care about the loss of life supposedly you are the humanitarian that values uh peace and, and good order and settling our differences through conversations rather than through violence uh, i thought that's what we believed and yet the tankies the the authoritarians, the ones that want to pick up guns and march in the streets, going door to door uh either locking people up in gulags, like sending them off to like the north to to uh to labor camps uh or machine gunning them in front of the wall, supposedly that's what we're about, but we're the ones that are out here arguing for peace. I don't like, and there has never been a time there's like aside from where it comes to let's say the process of revolution where i You know, whenever I talk about it, I make it very clear, like the process of revolution is necessarily violent because violence already exists. There has never been a time that you have like anybody, any group of people has been able to respond to structural violence with nonviolence. And and let me clarify what I mean by that in a second. But there's never been a time that you've been able any group of people has been able to respond to structural violence with nonviolence and succeed. And get what it is that they want and be considered as full-fledged citizens, be seen as human. That has never happened. That has only ever happened when the blood of the people is spilled. Is that that incitement to violence? No, it's just simply describing historical reality. People want to believe, for example, that uh, that, uh, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, um, by preaching nonviolence and engaging in hunger strikes... And saying words that embarrassed the British was able to single-handedly overcome British, uh, British rule in India. That Martin Luther King engaged in peaceful conversations, peaceful talks, and single-handedly, perhaps with the help of a few, I don't know, uh, women, a few closeted queer people, etc., um, but all of whom were engaged in uh, a total commitment to nonviolence, were able to, uh, with just a few bodies, Overcome the horrendous legacy of slavery and second class citizenship that black people have been subjected to in the United States. And these are both lies. There was plenty of violence that accompanied the Indian, independent, Indian independence movement. There was plenty of violence that accompanied the civil rights movement. Like that, I'm not sure exactly where we got lost on that, but it's, it's very clear why the nonviolence aspect is valorized.
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. Right. So, like, and we don't have to apologize for it. That's my point. No. That we do not have to apologize to be on the correct side of all of these things historically and in an ongoing capacity. That's yeah. all. I mean, I'm just tired of it. And I'm. I mean, I understand. That's the narrative. That's the mainstream. I'm just saying if we, what happens if we stop apologizing and we say, no, I'm not going to apologize. I am saying you have to listen to me and you have to pay attention to what I'm saying and not just shut me out using terms like Russian disinfo, tanky, CCP shill, whatever. Oh, no, 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 no. no. I'm actually cool. I'm actually
1: cool when people call me a tanky now. I'm completely embracing it. I don't give a shit. Right? (laughs) Because, no, it's, it's, listen, the (laughs) Russian tanks, Russian tanks, Russian arms accompanied independence movements successful liberation movements on the african continent right there's not a single african nation that was able to liberate itself without the force of arms and uh, camaraderie and assistance from russians from cubans from chinese etc were the backbone of african liberation movements so i really couldn't give a shit about uh uh about khrushchev sending tanks into hungary to quell an uprising that was itself fascistic and counter-revolutionary in nature i don't i do not care because as far as tanks and my people have ever been concerned it's always been used for the purpose of liberation
0: right right and you know the one uh, yeah. good thing that khrushchev did do i mean you can argue with <laughs> whatever else uh, mm-hmm. but apparently he had uh, stepan bandera knocked off so I didn't. Know oh yeah.
1: Okay, you. I didn't. I didn't know that. I, like I knew that that uh, Bandera was assassinated. I didn't know that uh, you know the Khrushchev man had had handed it. Oh, man, my goodness, you know, the, we we have we have a historical I guess like view of Khrushchev that is not quite favorable. But the more I found out about the guy, if
4: this happens to be true, I don't know. Maybe there are some redemptive qualities. We'll see. Uh,
1: what's up, Pete? How you doing, bro?
4: I'm doing alright. Uh, Q, it, it was nice to meet you and Stu yesterday. Uh, talked to you for the first time. It was nice to meet you too, Karen. My question is about Communist Party USA. Mm. I think you both live in Canada. We do. And, but so maybe it's like probably like maybe somewhere better to look for this information. But I'm not even sure what criticisms I've heard of it. I just am kind of under the understanding for some reason, and maybe you guys can elucidate further on this whatever information you have. Like, is it worth joining? Or like, uh maybe that's pretty shitty. I'm not getting us very far there, but thank you.
1: No, no, no. I, I, I mean, I get this question a lot. Like, you know, Americans do ask me, like, hey, do you think I should join CPUSA or should I join PSL or no? And there's other like organizations, other um, you know, like Marxist-Leninist and other communist organizations in the U.S. Uh, to which I say I don't really have opinions on them. Like, I know what the historical record is for CPUSA, and a lot of it is very unfavorable. Um, but frankly you know, there were some things that I heard about the communist party of Canada that weren't so great before I joined the communist party of Canada. And it turns out like it actually is a really cool party. Uh, When I say cool, I mean like I feel very comfortable and at ease, you know, within the party. I don't feel like there's anything for me to prove. Um, And people have like pushed me to be a better person and to do better things that may or may not be your experience. If you join TPUSA or PSL or any of these other organizations, Um, what I probably would say is like talk to some members and maybe talk to people that aren't with the party anymore. And, Uh, see about making your mind up um um, you know yeah go ahead go ahead
0: yeah so i was gonna say that i do have a lot of uh people that i know who are in cp who aren't well Okay, who are in various parties. So I know people in the CPUSA, in uh, um, FRSO, in uh, PCUSA, and in PSL, as well as some people who are still in the uh, Workers' World Party. So Mm -hmm. like basically some of the major ML parties in the U.S., I know at least a few people from each of them. And by a no, I mean I know I've talked to them. Some of them I've met in person, um, but I talk to them all the time online and, you know, various platforms. So... um, I would suggest that uh you know I used to be a lot more uh sort of um I, I used to believe a lot kind of the things that people would say about a lot of these parties, and uh I've learned that that when you um uh, first of all there's been like about a 100- hundred yo Karen. yes,
1: sorry i hate I really hate to interrupt you I don't like interrupting you, but uh. Yeah, the Azov boys got put in the split. Yeah,
0: I just Yeah, the Azov pack part. is up in the Mariup- air right now. Mariupol is uh is uh, Russian now.
1: It's yeah, like I'm looking at done. it. I'm looking at uh some video on Telegram and uh some photos as well. Uh oh my god. Uh and I I I, I, I I'm, I'm seeing I don't know, man, I'm seeing some bodies stretched out with the Wolf's Angel patch on their shoulder, so you know, I don't really feel no way about it. But uh oh, Yeah, okay. sorry boys.
0: <laughs> nice um yeah. All right, yeah, I'm gonna still have to be-
1: check that out too. Ooh. You
0: know, uh, happy day. Okay. Whatever, fuck
1: it. I'll just say it. They'd still be alive right now if y'all niggas ain't gas them up.
5: <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: listen, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, at the end of the day, whoever kills Nazis, um yeah, yeah they, that's yeah. they're doing. They're human. They're doing, uh, you know, humanity affairs.
1: Oh my gosh, um, hey, yo, I'm packing the ball right now. I'm pack- <laughs> literally, literally right now. I'm packing the ball.
0: Right, all right, you do that. So I'm gonna answer the, the question here. Okay, so I yeah, think parties. Um, they're not perfect, especially in the Imperial Corps. They have gone through like a hundred years of nonstop persecution, uh, banning, per, uh, uh, infiltration, sabotage all kinds of things. So you're going to find all kinds of issues in all the parties, in all over, you know, the Imperial Corps, especially, but I'm sure everywhere else too. Um, People, parties are made of people, people are imperfect, you know, sometimes things happen. So what I'm saying is that I would not give too much weight to the rumors. I would suggest that you um, talk to, uh, first of all, look at the platform, look at their official statements and see if you actually agree with what the party line is. If you do, then I would suggest talking to some people who are in the party, okay? And uh, some people who might be like you or who might have similar concerns as you or whatever it is that you're interested in and see what they say from that perspective, you know? Um, and then you can decide to join. You can always leave. I mean, you know, you're not going to be held hostage in any of these, you know, the ones that I named anyway. They're not like, they're on the up and up. Um, and, uh, you know um the thing is that the parties can get better if the people join them who want to make them better and then work on them you know what i mean so it's it, the, most of these are not they're not going to be you know like places where Uh, you will not have any input. You can, you know, over time get to know the places. It also depends on your local chapter, your local club. Sometimes that can be very different, especially in a country as big as the U.S. You know, you're going to have a big difference between different cities and, and places. So I would not just write any of them off. Look at what's in your area. It depends on what your area is. Some places have no chapters from one party and, you know, some chapter from another party. Okay, look at it. Talk to the people and kind of like... Don't listen to just the propaganda out there because a lot of that is not correct. And a lot of that is deliberately there to throw people off and make sure that we don't join anything and we stay in our silos and our little individual islands and do, you know, sit there and just criticize everybody else. The other thing I'll say, whatever party you do join, make sure that, you know, you become part of the effort to bring people together, even across parties. Okay, because ultimately, if we're going to do this in these countries we're going to have to get over this competition between parties between uh, sects sects between you know tendencies and i mean i'm just saying that it's a long-term project it's not going to happen overnight but try to you know if you do join a party also don't become one of those people who's like well my party's okay and your party sucks and you know what i mean like try to work see if we can work together on the ground a lot of times you have to work with different parties even with um, anarchists social democrats you know even liberals sometimes you have to do this you know you have to go out and do you have to build um you know uh united fronts with all kinds of people against fascism and things like that so what i'm saying is keep your mind open and don't listen to just the criticism look at what's the positive stuff that's being done
4: Uh, yeah i was wondering i think my question was more like if off the top there was anything like immediately just like disqualifying and i hate to yeah to your point about silos and like neoliberalism and stuff it that's like i hate yeah i kind of feel like sort of like typical american dickhead like asking you to like not doing the barest amount of research it feels really good like though we don't know each other it does feel very good to like talk to living human voices about this stuff rather than uh scroll on twitter but i was definitely also wondering like i'm pretty sure where i'm at right now Mm -hmm. like sort of like panhandle uh texas like whatever the midwest more or less i don't know that there's a communist party here so like if i started if I was to try to found a chapter here, like I guess I would be more coordinating, yeah, something I would coordinate it with like other members of the c p u um, s a yeah,
0: I don't know how that process works, I can't speak for that, I mean, the, uh, but I know, for example, uh we here we, you know you in order to start a new club, you have to have members who are experienced with the party and organizing already, so I don't yeah. know how it works there if you can, but you know, there might be there might be something you can do. There might be membership at large, you know, sometimes there's that kind of stuff. So talk to them. I mean, like I said, I do know some excellent, solid people who are in CPUSA and in PSL and all the parties I named. And yes, there are issues. For example, even some of them have criticisms. Like there was this recent article that just came out in the people's world and people from the party were criticizing it. So, you know, it's not like uh, it's all perfect and there's going to be no criticisms, but try to work with, uh, with what you got and try to make it better. But I mean, I, mean, I would say keep your mind open
4: you then use you then organize around like local issues right that's how it works like, yeah but also always like trying to grow the party
0: yeah exactly i,
4: I, I would go
0: on their website the official CPUSA website it, or uh, psl yeah. website whatever and you know read up about them read their recent statements read their party platform their program and all that yeah. and see what you think of that go from there
4: i appreciate
1: yeah thank you yeah, appreciate no that worries. uh joshua what's happening if you want to unmute Joshua, uh, the unmute button is in the lower right hand corner. Um, yeah, I got all, it. Yep. Yeah, no, all good. Uh, just a real quick thing. I just want to um, make a, a a quick note because uh, Geo, uh, the Sport Prophet or the Sport Pro, hey, uh, made a comment and he's not able to hop on on the uh, the call. So I'll uh, recite his question. I'm um, at work can't ask this question, but uh we're seeing this purging the media specifically anyone with an alternative perspective, and we're even seeing DSA is purging any sort of principal group specifically. Yep, DSA Palestine and DSA International has its own issues, right? Where do you see these heading in the beginning of a new McCarthy era? I mean, I don't I don't know that we're in a McCarthy era. I, I don't know that I would say that. I think we're like I don't see uh like a house on American activities spooling back up. Or like I don't I don't see like a, a congressional uh, committee uh, for House American Activities. But what I do see is something that is almost as effective, which is uh, that voices um, that are, uh, are being raised in dissent to the imperialist project, voices that are being raised in, dis- in dissent against NATO, uh, against the United States' role in this conflict, mm-hmm. uh, you don't find them in mainstream news. Like, there, there are people that are simply not welcome to offer comment on these matters, and the solution to that is independent media. I mean, we're engaging in it right now, right? The solution to that is to uh, find alternative means of getting the word out. Because I think, frankly, people know bullshit when they see it. And whether they are propagating the bullshit uh, online and saying, like, oh, you know, like, uh, it, it's divisive for DSA Palestine to be uh, issuing these, uh, these sorts of statements. Um, whether, you know, the DSA is trying to, like, purge... Pro-Palestinian sentiment from his ranks, uh, whether it's uh, news media that are pro-purging uh, um, any dissenting voices uh, regarding this conflict, it's not as if those voices have an obligation or or under any like legal and social pressure to stay gone. Uh, it just means that you don't have this particular avenue available to you anymore. So you know where uh, you where you're shut out, like where the door is locked, just break a window and climb in. Um but yeah, go ahead, go ahead Joshua.
6: Yeah, so i um, thank you for actually covering that because that means I don't have to talk about it. Um I want to talk a little bit about the ICC and the fact that the US is not a part of the ICC. I'm not sure who else has veto power at that level in regards to being party to those uh considerations of what is or is not a war crime. And the fact that we have the World Economic Forum and the WTO out there around uh, setting sanctions on what people can and cannot grow without value-added taxes and duties at a global level, that essentially is about whether or not you can or cannot feed yourselves, um, especially when we're dealing with climate change. And we no longer have and are no longer focused on regenerative practices Um, we're essentially still focused on extractive and degenerative processes like war. Um, so obvious that's kind of a long rambling introduction to the things I'd kind of like to see what your guys' thoughts are on that as well as potentially modern monetary theory and how we could use that to really move ourselves in the right directions on those issues.
1: Um, I'm going to make an autistic request and while I, uh, I, I, I get where you're coming from and I appreciate the points made, um, can can you condense the question uh summarize summarize what you're asking into a question mm-hmm. and i i i really don't want to i don't want to make people feel bad when i say that it's only that i'm oftentimes not clear as as to how to respond unless i know like what question is being asked
6: no that's fine i mean essentially i got everything i wanted to on the record uh so let's good. talk about let's talk about getting the icc Membership to the United States and/or these other countries that have veto power within the UN Security Council, and to kind of dictate right. how imperialism goes for capitalism. I don't
1: know that, uh, like uh, reforming the structure of the ICC, uh, whether it's expanding, uh, whether it's removing members. Um, I don't know that, like any method of reformation within un bodies uh, or within these international governance bodies uh, or uh, legal bodies like the icc i don't know that it would be possible to achieve the intended outcome through them because their entire purpose is to use a model of what is what can be described as criminality and a model as to what can be described as justice and impose that on nations that are not strong enough to withstand it. So, you know, the U, the United States has an actual law, you know, and I, I've seen a lot of people talk about this lately and I just, I'm, I'm really glad actually, it makes me, it, it warms my heart that people know that this exists, but the United States has a law that uh, if any American is uh, brought before the Hague, so whether, whether it's like somebody is like kid, I don't know, kidnapped and extradited, Or, an American is arrested abroad and brought before the ICC, the US can simply engage in military action to get them the fuck out of there. They do not recognize the authority of the ICC, while at the same time, look to the ICC as the source of justice, at least where uh, war criminals fall outside of the United States' purview. Like there hasn't been action taken against the US specifically, otherwise, it'd just end up in fucking Gitmo or a black site somewhere. Um, but they look to the uh, the icc to deliver justice as long as it's not to americans so i don't know that i would look to any of these bodies um i don't know that i'd even look to the un Uh, what i would look to is uh local governance and what i would look to is national self-determination so it's going to be up to uh it's going to be up to states like china it's going to be up to state uh, it's going to be up to states like iran it's going to be up to states like uh russia it's going to be up to states like venezuela it's going to be up to states like bolivia and nicaragua like all of them are going to have to engage in their own methods of um, developing international relations with countries that have the ability to resist u.s and western hegemony and develop new models i think there are going to have to be new paradigms that are created that rival the ones that already exist because the ones that already exist were created specifically for the purpose of entrenching Imperialist hegemony.
0: Yeah,
1: Did you, I don't know if you had thoughts on that, Katie. Yeah,
0: I agree. I think, um, I think the, you know, the, the, it's called the Hague Invasion Act. Uh, there's a longer term for it too, the one you're talking about. And uh, yeah, I'm really glad that people are finally like more people are realizing what it is. People are googling what that mean, what that is. And it's uh, an act that uh, in 2002 was signed by George W. Bush into law. That if if anybody in the whole world brings any American to court at the International Criminal Court, uh, then the United States has the right or or will um, invade the fucking Netherlands. Uh, so, you know... Not that
1: I have any not that i have any sympathy for the dutch yeah i mean fuck uh, that but i'm saying wrecked. like yeah. <laughs> what i'm saying the point i'm
0: saying is that yeah, if if if, the, if if they're willing to do this to their own you know a fellow white western european country imagine what they would do to any other country in the exactly. global south right exactly. so my, my my point is that they're like that is how far they're, they're willing to just like in, like invade their their buddy their, their you know one of their original colonizers so um what i'm saying is that you know uh what is I think that I, I get the impulse to want to strengthen or increase, you know, like make us more accountable to like the existing bodies, like the UN and ICC and whatnot. But um, you know, the for the last twenty nine years, the United Nations has. Almost unanimously voted to remove the blockade, uh, the U.S. blockade against Cuba. Okay, 184 countries or more uh, usually uh, have voted, and that includes almost all of the allies of the United States, including Canada, including United uh, Britain, France, Germany, uh, Japan. You know, plus all the other countries we can think of in the whole world have voted to remove for the U.S. to remove the sanctions on Cuba, the blockade around Cuba. And the U.S. completely ignores it. That's been going on in the United Nations for the last 29 years. And what my point is, is that, you know, this this recent vote that happened where a, a bunch of countries, most of them, almost all of them aligned with the United States, voted against uh, the Russian uh, intervention in, in Ukraine. And yet somehow Russia is supposed to abide by that. You know, that that's like they're they're waving it in our, in our faces. Aha, the UN voted against Russia. Aha. It's like, well, where the fuck were you for the last 29 years when the entire world and the UN has voted against your sanctions against Cuba that is throttling and like really harming people? people in Cuba for and that, that those uh, that embargo has been going on for like over seventy years by the way so against Cuba so my point is that the United Na- states the u s does not care about the United Nations about the ICC about any of that so um, you know uh, I don't see how they, they that's not what they're about this is like you know some giant you know, big bully and it's like, you know, trying to like, like a hall monitor trying to talk to them. It's like it's not going to work. It's That's not, you know. And and I get it. I get the impulse for why you would want to do that, but I just, I agree with Q. It's not really going to be effective. What, what, the only thing that'll really, that really works against a bully is somebody who is bigger and stronger and willing to fight back. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mason, how are you? You can unmute by pressing the microphone button in the lower right hand corner of your screen. There you go. Hi, Mason. Do I sound like an- Um, you Hi. sound a little bit far away.
7: Yeah, it's these Bluetooth uh, heads that kind of got to be. Oh yeah, it's it's fine. Bit. Like
1: don't yeah don't don't get don't get uh, disciplined. Like, we'll we'll make it work.
7: Yeah, it's I'm just gonna talk a little bit in code, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All good. <laughs> um, I yeah, I just we're just talking about like liberals and and uh, just geopolitics and everything, and I just. I've been thinking a lot lately about how there is a certain country on this planet that eliminated absolute poverty, and um, we're just not allowed to talk about it on the left. There was no celebration. Um, if you try and talk about it, people accusations of, of genocide, which it just it seems so strange to me that we can believe that this country eliminated poverty, but is also apparently carrying out a genocide. Like Those things seem so incompatible. And uh, yeah, I don't know, I'm a little scattered on this thought, but I just find it so crazy that that people on the left who do on the ground organizing among impoverished people here just can't seem to like grasp how, I don't know, like I watched, there's a series on YouTube, um, most of the uh, episodes have an English dub, uh, it's called No Poverty Lunch. It just goes around um, the PRC and and looks at, um, you know, some of the programs and stuff there and it's just like i am- like I cried when I was watching that series and I don't know it's just so disappointing that we can't like that we didn't even like celebrate for a day uh here in the imperial Corps because that's just it's an amazing achievement and I don't know I've been thinking about it a lot um so I don't know if more oh of a my god a question but if you guys want to
0: take yeah. over No, I got a lot to say about this. Thank you so much for bringing that up, Mason. Um, Is it okay, Q? Do you want to go first? No,
1: no, absolutely. You go ahead, Karen.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah, so this is probably my favorite topic. Um, uh, I totally, totally feel you there, Mason. I I have literally cried tears over the same topic. Um, I was, in 2018, able to see the actual process what was happening on the ground in the rural parts outside of beijing nanjing and wuhan in china i was there and i saw the work that was being done which is uh the culmination of millions and millions and millions of those kinds of uh uh you know projects and people working together in various parts of china that brought 800 million people uh, over the uh, line of uh, abject poverty or extreme poverty and eliminated that in the world. China eliminated extreme poverty, um, at least in China, and that was the biggest growth of uh, people from outside, out of poverty in human history. So why is that not celebrated um, in the West? First of all, let me put it this way. It is not celebrated because the West is jealous The West is resentful. The West is racist. So let's just put it that way. Yes, there's anti-communism, but I think underneath the anti-communism is jealousy and resentment and racism. So they don't like the fact that a country like China is achieving things. They don't want to admit it. They are ashamed of it. They are afraid of what that means, that another country, another place that it does not share the values and the history of the Western settler colonial empires Is able to achieve these things without colonizing anybody, without wars, without all of the destruction um, that the United States and its its uh, UK before that, and France and Germany and all these countries have been involved in destroying Africa, looting Africa, enslaving people from Africa, you know, uh, genociding the like 65 million people or so in the Americas, the indigenous people of the Americas, plus Australia and everywhere else. So you know that China is able to achieve all, all what they have done without any of that is a deep, deep wound on the Western, like... ego okay so i think that that is uh, obviously there are many of us here uh, including yourself and many people who are not uh, who don't fall for that and uh, what i'm finding is that even though the media is putting billions not just the media but you know the people who control the media um all the oligarchs here in the west all the capitalists um, they are putting billions of dollars into the propaganda constant propaganda sometimes in completely unexpected places. Like you are you're going to be watching like a children's cartoon or some random thing. And, and there'll be just a throwaway line in there about, you know, the, uh, the communist China or the authoritarian China or the dictatorship in China. They'll just randomly have a throwaway line about or something about Stalinism or gulags. And they will just randomly throw shit in almost every piece of Western media that you will. I mean, I almost challenge you to find me something that in no way, in any way references anti-communism. Any piece of media like I I, it's amazing to me ever since I started noticing these things like sometimes even one line one word it will always almost always be in there like on Netflix you will see a show um, like um, I was watching the stupid show called the Umbrella Academy and uh, the first season was kind of boring I didn't really even like it but then the literally the beginning of the second season. Um, They started with uh, the Soviets have attacked uh, America, you know, in this parallel like universe, parallel timeline. My point is that no matter where you look, they will throw some anti-communist shit in there and anti-China stuff specifically nowadays. So my point is that that is what's happening. We are inundated by anti-communist and anti-China messaging. And that is why people are so fucking brainwashed and so uh completely many people including many people who consider themselves leftists it becomes almost like a like a purity thing where you have to like we were talking about earlier you have to apologize well i don't support china's human rights uh, record oh i don't think china is this i don't you know you have to first put all these disclaimers before you even say anything positive about china that's that's what that's what people are expected to do here and i say fuck that no secondly i'm going to just say one thing Um, I started this little group, uh, this little community on Twitter just to post some positive photos and videos of China, literally last night. And I was thinking I was gonna get a couple of dozen people who are really interested in, you know, in this topic and maybe want to share some, you know, photos about some of the high-speed rails, the thousands and thousands of kilometers of high-speed rail that China has built, including maglev trains, which look that up, man, if you don't know what that is um and uh also all of the infrastructure that china is building inside and outside china so uh i wanted to share like so i started a small community which is a new feature on twitter and uh, honestly like within like an hour or two i had like 300 requests to join this community so my point is that i think people actually are aware that they're being lied to they know they're being fucking fucked with by the media and and by the by the capitalists here um and they're hungry for anything to tell them, to to show them the truth. And that is why we are seeing so much censorship where, you know, CGTN is taken off the air and now with the RT and everything taken off the air because people want that because if people were not hungry for it, those people who are in power would not be cracking down on shutting that down. You know, those things that all of the censorship just means that things are getting out of hand for the capitalists and they're just scrambling. So I would encourage you, Mason, to uh, join some of these kinds of communities and talk to people who are, you know, already on the same page as you, and you will feel better about it. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I'll t- can you guys hear me okay?
1: Yeah, yeah we can I hear you hear fine. Okay, yeah. okay.
7: Sorry, it's not giving me the blue circle on my screen. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I totally agree with everything you're saying. It's just so I live in Vancouver, um, which has a huge uh, Chinese diaspora population, and a lot of people that I know you know, are are on the ground with the ground activists doing a lot of mutual aid and stuff, but then they, they just, they hate China so much and it's not just China, it's just this sort of like um, anarchistic, I don't know, it's just hard to talk to these people about that kind of stuff and like they just immediately think that you're like, yeah, like a CCP shill or whatever, Yeah. But it's like you can't even just talk about the accomplishments without them having to bring up like all these other bad things and it's like I'm not trying to deny that those things are happening, but it's just like, like, they're like 1.4 billion people don't have to live in poverty anymore. Like, that's just crazy to me that we can't celebrate that. I don't know. It's just, it's really been bothering me lately.
0: No, I totally um, understand. Yeah. Especially, in, I know in, in the area you're in, um, I think we're also, you know, it's like being in like Miami, you know, and talking about Cuba. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing, yeah. That, that that unfortunately that's 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 the nature of sort of immigration the way that uh western countries have have actively uh recruited uh the people who are most likely to be uh anti communist and anti uh you know who they they basically recruit their the people who are um willing to uh speak uh, and talk and live in a way that uh um contradicts everything that their originally you know the countries that are sort of trying to Build something against Western hegemony. You know they 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 recruit people like the Western countries will recruit people who are who are against that. So they recruit compradors and gusanos and things like that. So I'm not saying everybody who's in that community that you're talking about is like that, but there's a lot of huge influence by that kind of uh, a lot of the newspapers are owned by people who have that kind of influence. And so yeah, I totally get it. I know it's frustrating, and I'm I am sorry to hear that. Yeah.
7: Um. Thank you. I don't know if you has anything to say, but I'm just gonna hop
0: off the call now so that I'm.
1: No, no, all good thank you Thanks so much being Mason. A sneak
7: in the corner but I really appreciate
1: uh, don't apologize for coming oh, don't apologize God. for coming up here don't try to make yourself feel small okay. or nothing like that every I'm time more that you
0: <laughs> every time we've chatted and you've asked
1: <laughs> questions you ask really thoughtful questions and I appreciate yeah. hearing from you
0: seriously thank you um, and no I see you, I see you in the chats too I see you in the light when we're doing the streams I see you in the chat so thank you for always <laughs> engaging you're very intelligent and thank you I really want to always oh. hear from you wow that Wow,
7: that's actually, <laughs> I might go cry now a little bit. Well, Aw, come teacher. on. But, um, yeah, I'm hoping to to continue to, to interact with you guys and, and maybe both of you. Uh, I'm waiting to get uh, the interview into the party. So, um,
1: hopefully, oh, well, I'll cross yeah, my fingers.
7: Nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thank you guys so much. Anytime, <laughs> Mason. you
1: me no again. I'm, yes, I, I'm looking forward to it. For sure. All right. Cell, uh, sorry to keep you waiting. And I'm not sure if it's like Cell or Sealy. um
8: Sealy. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I I wanted to ask you a question. I agree with all you said about China. But there's something that really worries me is we are, I'm from outside the U.S. and we are much aware of the propaganda and
1: we don't have that many. Whereabouts from- are you from if you don't mind me asking?
8: oh argentina okay the end of the world so we <laughs> <laughs>
1: argentina could use a good revolution of its own as a matter of fact
8: argentina has <laughs> argentina has a revolution every day it's every <laughs>
1: two
8: three years so that yeah. problem i think no argentina is having a big problem now with with something that trump left but that's for something else mm-hmm. um Uh, Well, there's another thing. Uh, Chinese uh, companies, uh, the Chinese government, uh, when they are making all those great investments, they are also making some not so clear investments that are kind of worrying. Because, I mean, they can be great for Chinese, but maybe they're, they're, well, they're, I, I mean, how do you say, the exterior politics, in the way they they act abroad might not be the same. The I mean these things that happen with Sri Lanka and with Chile and the Could you cherries. give an
0: example? Could you
8: give some Well that example? the thing that, well I'm more aware of the one in Chile um with cherries. Don't know that they they started buying all these small productors of cherries and now they have the whole production of cherries from Chile is owned by China. I'm not saying that that's evil or anything like that. It's just not good for Chile. I mean, and here they have a, um, an area that they invested but uh, no Argentinian is allowed in. Nor we cannot know what, it, what they are doing. And, uh, and then there is um, this, I don't know, this um, treaty about uh, information that we are allowing them to take, that, that doesn't worry me because everybody's taking the, the information anyway. But uh, it's sad, but it's true. But there's, there's some worries. I mean, it's not that people are condemning or saying that they are the worst. I mean, they were worried. If, they, were, they would be more worried if it was the US than, than China. But... It's worrying.
0: I think that's yeah, that uh, Um well, Go ahead. I'll, I'll speak after you. Go ahead,
1: Q. I, I was going to say, like, there's a very similar, I don't know. I, I hear the same thing uh, in Jamaica where people talk about, like, the Chinese owning Jamaica or that they're engaging in a, an imperial project with Jamaica. I've heard that uh, with regards to, to Haiti, uh, that there are, you know, Chinese investments in Haiti or rather there's, like, talks of Chinese investments in Haiti and there's, like, speculation as to whether they're planning on just, like, scooping up, um, like, ports and, uh I guess, like, you know, uh, farms, ports, electricity, cell phone towers, and that sort of stuff. So, like, basically, like, snapping up um, uh, key infrastructural items on the cheap. Uh, I've heard that about China and Kenya. I've heard that about China and Zambia. I've heard that about China and Ghana. I've heard about uh, that about China and Peru. So I I guess the way to look at it is something that um, uh, their uh, foreign envoy to the Horn of Africa, uh, Shui Bing, uh, said last week, which was that uh, you know China is not interested in shaping the development of any country. Um, they are interested in, in being trading partners, and that you know they're not going to ship anybody guns. They're going to ship them students and engineers and offer financing. And I think um, it tends to be. And I'm not. I'm not saying this to invalidate your point of view because I understand. What it can look like. No, I mean, it's, yeah. it's,
8: it's it's even if it's paranoia. I mean, uh, I
1: don't, I don't think it's paranoia. One
8: bully another bully. I mean, for us, yeah. China is huge. So it's it's the possibility of it being another bully is there. We yeah. trusted Europe and we got We trusted the US. We got through. I mean, what would it happen to China? I mean, it could happen. <laughs> yeah, so we no, have to I, be careful I, in a way.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying that it's paranoia because, like, you know, people in my own family exhibit the same kinds of concerns like my family whatsapp chat you know i'm 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 usually the unpopular one being like okay but look at so and so and so so like but i'm not going to say that um you know people in my family who live in like kingston jamaica and uh montego bay jamaica and portland jamaica uh, i'm not going to say that they're they have no reasons to feel the way that they do because when they see roads being built uh, and there are chinese workers um that are paving the roads when they see New cell phone towers going up and it's uh, Chinese companies that own the towers Uh, when there's Mm -hmm. phones flooding the market and it's all Huawei phones. They might think, well, why is it that China gets to do all of this and we don't get to develop our own country? And that's a valid question to ask. Um, Just with regards to uh, China and Argentina's um, trade relationship, uh, Argentina signed on to the... Belt and Road Initiative, just like many African countries do. And it's been... Yes, recently. Know, yeah.
8: Recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: there's been varying degrees of success with countries that have signed on to the initiative. But I think it's important to understand what the purpose of the initiative is, as well as how the initiative has played out in various countries. And I think...
8: No, I know well, that. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. I know so, that. I say that there's a lot of good investment. Very good yeah. investment. I, in- I, but I'm not, I'm not in trying well, to talk to you in- about...
1: I'm not mm-hmm. trying to talk to you about good investment or bad investment. I'm I'm trying to sort of like build upon your point rather than contradict your point. Um, yeah. So what I'm saying is that there are you know uh, roads that are being built to connect Argentina cities to each other, um, rather than uh, move out to let's say like from farms to ports or from farms to like uh, you know to to uh, warehouses and shipping locations, right? So there is that, yeah. but then there is also the necessity for uh you know, the, the working class in Argentina to be able to participate in the development of their own country. That is also an important facet of any sort of infrastructural development project because once the roads are built and once the cell phone towers are up, once the hydro towers are up, once the dams are built, once the factories are built, then it's like, yeah. all right, well, what is there left to do? I mean, that, we're still unemployed. I mean, yeah, great. We've, we've got a better economy, but how did that benefit me? And I think that really comes down to um, being able to put pressure on governments to no. yeah, put a pressure on governments to make sure
8: that, yeah. like that. Argentina not like, but in Argentina, it's not like that. I mean, the investment that they are doing are yeah. like higher, right? Are more into new, eco, new, new, I mean, we can build a road. We most of them are built. I mean, uh, there's a lot more uh, in, uh, in renewable energies in wind, and mm-hmm. uh, they, we export. Uh, we make um, food for 400 people, 400 million, and we are 400 million. When we are, we are 40 million, and most of the food uh, that that we export is for China, in for pigs or in meat or anything yeah. like that. So the 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 thing that we that they are doing is
1: more
8: more infrastructure, but more, more complicated infrastructure. Um, right? I, I, that I, is work that yeah. that really is, that that doesn't take the work away from the um, the the lower sector. Actually, we work like China for other people because we are cheap labor for so, uh, um, companies in the so U.S. So, I,
1: I, I, okay, I'm going to say I agree, with a, I agree with a couple of facets of that, but here's... There's
8: okay. one thing, just that I add, and I, I listen to you completely. Uh, sure. The last time when they went to Bell to sign the Bell Road, um, there, uh, um, there was something <laughs> that caught my attention, that Xi Jinping uh, asked, spoke about Malvinas uh, in our behalf, We have a territory that is occupied by Britain. But, of course, there was a price. I mean, the government had to go out and say that uh, he uh, recognizes Taiwan as part of China, which is, you can agree or not agree, but it wasn't on the agenda from Argentina at all until, I mean, there's always deals. You know, with other countries, there's always deals. I mean, there's something you have to give back
1: um, sure. Okay. So I think where it comes to the the question of, uh, you know, uh, recognizing Taiwan as a part of China, I think that's a, I don't know, it's a no, probably a it's fairly okay. minor, con, a fairly minor concession. Like it, it doesn't really break anyone's back or pick anyone's pocket with regards to the rest. Um, okay. there's a similar, does. there's a similar, um, uh, issue that happened with regards to China's relationship with now sit here and uh, Ethiopia and Djibouti. By is where I tried to defend. Oh, what was, what was going on there? I don't, no, no, yeah. Um, yeah, there was a similar issue that uh that came up with regards to uh China's relationship with uh, Ethiopia and Djibouti, which is that uh they built uh railroads and um, you know, many of the projects that they were taking on in these countries were. Uh, They were industrial and infrastructural projects, and they did require highly skilled labor, um, both to uh, to build uh, infrastructure and to maintain it once uh, the projects had been were completed. So what ended up happening was that um, they uh, they took people um, from those countries, from Ethiopia and Djibouti, um, brought them into China proper, uh, trained them, gave them an education. And then uh, as of 2021, um, there's less less than thirty percent of the total yeah. workforce that was in there in the first yeah. place uh, to build these projects. Less than thirty percent are still in any of those countries because the people that so uh, were on, trained to take on those jobs. That guy, I, Dan um, they are migrating yeah, into us. Sorry, one second here. Yeah, the people that were trained to take on those jobs, um, they were then uh, uh, brought back to Ethiopia into Djibouti, and they've replaced. Chinese workers. Ghana also had a similar issue where um, Chinese workers were uh, for uh, some massive railway projects, one of them uh, from like I forget the name of the Ghanaian port uh, to the capital of Burkina Faso, Wagu um, there were Chinese laborers that were working on that rail project and uh, Ghana asked them to renegotiate uh, the terms of the project so that they could have more local labor and that was that was granted. They said, okay well h- how many of like what percentage of the workforce do you think would be fair? Um and do they require training? So the exact same thing happened. So but, I, I understand. Sorry, I understand.
8: No, uh, no, sir? but just, I, I, I think that what you're telling me is great because it yeah. marks an intention. But it not, doesn't apply here. We have the we have uh, the university for us is free, and mm. and the best one is the state one. And people from other countries come here, of course, from South America come here, or for other parts parts of America, come here and study. I mean, we don't have that problem.
0: Okay, um, I'm going to jump in here, okay? So I'm from a third world country as well. I'm from a global south country, uh, from Pakistan. And um, Mm -hmm. China has uh, has put in, I think, $60 billion US dollars worth uh, of a deal called CPEC, China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. Pakistan is one of the key uh, partners, whatever, in the BRI and the Belt and Road Initiative. So China has been putting uh, in a lot of money, uh, investing in various, or at least a lot of money has been put aside. So um, Pakistan has, um, it's obviously different from Argentina and every place else. Um, um, And uh, But what I'm saying is that I I hear some of the people who are, um, you know, uh sorry uh, could you just mute please seely uh while there's a background sound there okay thank you so um uh i've heard the sort of crit- similar criticisms not the same thing but you know there are some people who are critical of some of the projects or some of the uh the ways that some of these projects are being uh, worked, uh, are, are being implemented. And, uh, to, you know, what I say is that um, anybody who lives in these countries, especially if you actually are genuinely, like, so there's, there's different kinds of criticism. Not you, Celie, but I'm saying that there's some people who are in, I can speak for Pakistan, who have an investment in Western um, imperialism, who whose children studied in the West and who have this investment and this attachment To United States or UK, and they tend to be just they just tend to not like China because they're they know that that somehow is taking them away from what they wanted, which was, you know, to be more like the West. Um, I'm not saying that's what you are saying, but I'm saying that I don't even listen to those people's criticism to me that they're just they're compradors but the people who are genuinely living there who are working there who are affected by some of these decisions some of those decisions are being made by private corporations and china the chinese government has actually clamped down on some of the bad practices by some of the chinese corporations or some of the people inside in those corporations so it's not like everybody who's doing business um under the chinese sort of uh, bri or any other project is is an angel there's going to be problems there's going to be people who are cutting corners there's going to be people who are you know in various ways have have issues and you uh often, not all the time, probably, but much of the time, there is actual accountability um, that the Chinese government has. So, for example, there were some people who were, like, marrying uh, or, or, like... um there was this like whole marriage scandal going on with uh, women being trafficked uh, into China from Pakistan. That was something that the Chinese government clamped down on and has been cooperating with the Pakistani authorities uh, against to, to to investigate that. Um, and I actually have to follow up on that story. But what I'm saying is that bad stuff does happen uh, coming out of people who are from China or, or who are working for China. That doesn't necessarily discredit the whole thing. That, not, I know that's not what you're saying either. No, no, but that that that's important because
8: here it happens all the time. But people do bad things all the time. Exactly. But there's no accountability. And exactly. So
0: exactly. That, it's that, the accountability it's that something. matters. Yeah. yeah something. And then, so what I'm saying is that the people who live in these countries who have criticisms, I think those are valid criticisms, and those are things that need to be worked on uh, locally through the authorities there and through the channels that might be there uh, with Chinese, uh, you know, the projects, the project managers in that area. That is just something that I don't want Americans or Canadians to exploit, which is what happens in a lot of cases. People take these, uh, uh, you know, uh, isolated incidents or issues that are local to these countries, and then they start saying, oh, China's colonized. Africa, China, China's, China's imperialist. China, and I don't agree with that because um, that is not what's happening. There are local issues, and the, you know those are things that need to be adjusted and worked through by those local people who live and work in those communities. That said, um, I think what's happening, and I can't speak to the specific situation in Argentina. Sorry, I can't speak. I cannot speak to the specific situation in Chile. I am I'm, I'm not from there. I don't know all of the uh, aspects that might be uh, at at work. You know, all of the factors. And um, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to speak for your experience or anything like that. But what I'm saying is that um, I think those are you, what you're if you live in that place, you're from that place and you're coming from, you know, a, a, a real genuine place. Then I think your criticisms are valid. And I think that that is something. Um, and I think what Q maybe what you were going for, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I would say is that China has this sort of very neutral, you know, non-interventionist policy, which sometimes can be very infuriating, I'll be honest. Uh, but I understand why it's there. Okay? I understand why they have it. Uh, because China in the past has also made some pretty severe mistakes when it comes to foreign policy. When they did intervene or when they did try have a non-neutral policy, they made mistakes and they know that. They know that more than you and I know that, they know that the chinese government the communist party of china knows that they study it so they they're trying to make sure that they don't repeat those mistakes that they don't uh they're trying they have a long term vision for china and for the rest of the world they really mean it when they say that they want a win-win co- cooperation that's the wording they use win-win cooperation now does that mean that they always will do it the way that we pe- we who are or people who are on the ground want to do it no but a lot of times what happens is i think the chinese uh sort of uh what happens is sometimes they will, for example, I was saying earlier that China built in the beginning. Oh, I was saying in a different place, actually. I was on Clubhouse for a little while and I was talking about it there. At the beginning of the COVID 19 crisis, China built two, uh, I think there were two, it might have been more hospitals from scratch within like 10 days. And it was all live streamed. And I'm sure some of you, maybe you caught that. It was all on, like, on being live streamed, I think, on CGTN or one of those channels. And they literally worked 24 hours, hundreds of people, and they built entire hospitals, like uh, state-of-the-art hospitals, in 10 days in order to uh, house people who are getting sick with COVID-19. The reason I'm saying that is that if you and if you've ever been to China, you will understand what I mean, is that the Chinese work ethic is absolutely unheard of anywhere else in the world. And they will basically like they work uh, when they want to do something, they will get down to it, and they will fucking do it, and they will do it in one tenth the time that I could do it, or anybody I know could do it and and th- th- that 's a very strong efficient like system, an organization that they have, and I think some of what we 're seeing is that they they, they t- sometimes there might be i 've heard of these you know oh the Chinese came in and they just built the railroad, and we didn 't even get to like do it. I understand that, and I know that that 's not ideally what should have happened, but I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to get to the end result faster while training people on how to actually run those trains, while training people how to actually run those things so that they can then do the maintenance. This is what's happening in Pakistan. So in Pakistan, there, there's never been a subway, there's never been a train, a high-speed rail, any, any kind of rail, until uh, I believe 2020 or 2019 in Lahore, it's called the Orange Line, and it was built by China. And was it, uh, you know, there were complaints about, well, why didn't Pakistanis build it? I'm sorry, I can tell you, that if pakistanis built it it would have taken like 20 years and it might not have been built the chinese came in they built it like literally uh, almost like very quickly i don't know how long it took uh they built it very very fast and then they t- trained pakistani people on how to operate and maintain those lines and how to, you know, go from there forward. And I think that is the model they're using. It's not always the most like nicest, politest model. And I get that. And I know it must be frustrating. And I'm not denying that. I'm not saying your criticisms are invalid, but I'm explaining what they're thinking and why they do those kinds of things. So No, no, you, that you make clear
8: a lot of my, my doubts because mm. they're not, I'm not criticizing really. I'm, I'm like worried. I'm not. Yeah. Sure. I haven't seen anything like. But I'm worried because it, it always happened with us. I mean, in yeah. bigger yeah. countries, it always happened. And uh, well, the fact that Chile, Chile—that's why I said Chile because this was very similar to us. Like they weren't paying attention, and by the way, they, when they saw, they say, "Oh, <laughs> we lost here." But they are very, very different. They are much, much more organized, and we are more like he said—we are a mess. So. And that's what I wanted to ask you because it's not happening. The thing with the robes—they are not coming and saying, "Oh, they are investing." And in the only place that Argentinians are not allowed, the same—the other is is cooperative. We have very sometimes two strong unions here. How would they? I don't think they could manage with that because our culture is so different.
0: How do they do that in other countries? It's hard it's hard to I mean you know sometimes some of this is like um you know when we I know for example in Pakistan um you know there's this sense it's not like Pakistanis are not hard workers or whatever you know that they can't
2: do No this thing. no no it's
0: it's that uh, it's that I I feel like there's like this generational sense of uh disheartenment and like what does it matter because ultimately nothing we do will make a difference you know and this sort of sets in and and people become more and more like it becomes almost like a cultural thing where there's this lack of belief that lack of faith that anything will make a difference i feel like some of that is that i I know that people have that in a lot of uh, parts of the world because of colonialism imperialism i think uh, capitalism has has made people so destitute and desperate and, and, corruption. and corruption, corrupt. I mean, oh my God, yeah, it's
8: unbelievable
0: absolutely it, and, and you it know what it's gonna, this is it gonna take generations and I think unfortunately you know in order to work with all of those factors sometimes China does bring in wholesale all of the people that and all of the materials and then builds you a freaking power plant or a subway station and then people are, are in that city or in that country are like what, what the fuck what do we do with this but yes I think you know what they're doing is I, I and I from what I can tell they do train people that there's a lot of people who are in China well actually right now there's a lot of issues because of the pandemic. Pandemic, but there's a huge international student uh, like community in China from all over the world training, mm-hmm. being trained in engineering and sciences and all kinds of stuff. So, yes, I yes. Mean, it's going to take time, unfortunately, and there's going to be missteps. There's going to be, you know, issues along the way. I would just recommend that, you know, I, I just tell people if you're from the Global South and you your your you know, you're in your livelihood and your life is there then I, I want to listen to you. If you're in the West and all you want to do is shit on China, I don't, I don't give a fuck about your opinion. Where do I belong? <laughs> that's,
8: that's Because that's very confusing with you. Yeah. Because now the other thing, my, my nephew was telling me that he went to live to, to the U.S. a few years ago. And he was telling me that he tells the teacher that he's from America. And the teachers argued that he's not. And he says,
0: uh, yes, it's a continent. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, American. US
8: American. U.S.
0: They don't believe the, anybody else is American but them, I know. <laughs> yes, yes, they hijacked the. I told
8: him, yes, yeah. You believe it. They hijacked them, the name of the continent. And now it's the West, and
0: I'm from the global South, then not the West. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, would
8: be, I, would I mean, long, no,
0: no, really. I'm asking because but I these, are, the these, these words are not necessarily about geography. They're often about what people have. So, of so collectively, you know, done. But yeah, I know, like, like for example, Australia is not the Global South, even though it's literally okay, in the I southern understand. hemisphere. So. I understand. Yeah, um, and <laughs> so I qualify as the South.
8: I, I, I mean, as I'm as from I the Global do. South. You know, all but, the country. Yeah. The, 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 way yeah, that well, what happens, what the happens. What happens is, uh-huh. no, no, I was going to tell you that here. For I mean, the unions are more than strong. Sometimes, like, they are very corrupt and. They can stop you, the country, for anything they want. That's the truth. The, the the one that that manages the the transport and all they can stop the country. So they are very strong. They are going to keep that in check. I'm not that worried about the the labor being taken away. I mean, the things that that probably those kind of uh, of enterprises are not going to be done here because, and I haven't seen any. All I've seen was uh, a lot of uh, new infrastructure for um, green energies, which I think is amazing yeah. because yeah. we have a lot of places
0: to And drive. I mean, you know, as, 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 the, as flawed and issues, there might be issues with the, what, Ch- what China is doing, it does not compare to what the United States has done and okay. what Europe <laughs> has done, right? Like, we know that. We know what they have done when they have gone to the global south. Right, they, they, they do not build anything. That's they the only oil. destroy and loot. Yeah. They still do it. That's I yeah, the and thing. they still they do, still do it. it. Yeah. They're still mm-hmm. doing it. Exactly. But, but that
8: was that's that's really a, a, my worry that it's a very very country. Um, yeah. yeah. You always suspicious.
0: Well, thank you very much. Really it All makes right. a lot of things clear for me. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much for coming up. You have a good day. All right. Uh so I believe Q had to step away. So I'll be uh here for anybody who wants to come up. So let's take our next caller. That would be a, Abujanin, uh, Abu Jen, Abujanin, Abu go ahead and unmute yourself on the bottom right side. There's a little mic icon. A, Abujanin, A, F, ah, there you are. Hi. Right. Can you, Hi, can you hear me? Yes.
5: Hi, Karen. Um, <laughs> I was just listening to Sealy, and I was just thinking about how brilliant a site would it be when there would be union leaders all over Pakistan <laughs> blocking oh. the streets <laughs> no, <they're not. laughs> it's Like, wouldn't we dream for that day right so being from there I uh I you know that's not something one would sort of <laughs> try to stop that's what that's something that sort of we're working towards I guess but um I would actually you know I was listening to that conversation and it prompted me to come up and sort of speak because I think there's a lot that we analytically lose when we say things like, and especially from those of us who sort of um, are at least geographically or sort of situationally or temporarily or temporarily located in the global north, uh, which is uh, in a way that we think very much from the point of view of standing somewhere in North America or somewhere in the North Atlantic region, right? And so from, from this far away, all the granularity of what it means for China to be doing something, right? Uh, just, just that as an analytical framing is is per, perhaps for me slightly um, uh, illusionary uh, because sort of say, when we talk about sort of the orange line in, in Lahore, uh, you know, it, it when you look at it at a granular level, it's not china being an efficient builder against sort of the inefficiency of uh, pakistani sort of workers it's actually it works very similar to any corporate entity say a multinational corporation so it's it's actually china railway company limited who is probably um subcontracting to uh a, ten different sort of um, uh, construction companies that are pakistani and do utilize pakistani workers and but the project is being managed by china railroad company limited similar to the ways in which uh, <laughs> the bin laden construction company managed multiple projects for the american empire uh, in in iraq in, in 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 afghanistan and whatnot right so or, or 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 blackwater contracts secure private security for american imperial so, so you know let's 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 sort of be a little bit more and and this is sort of i say this not a, in a critical way this is a purely comradely <laughs> conversation here um which is sort of when we say China does X or China does y we we give it a certain kind of a monolithic um, predetermined kind of um uh quality an anthropomorphic quality from a distance that it probably does not have uh internally it's not prescient it makes false moves and it makes violent moves and it makes mistakes and it uh you know sort of uh this entity is also internally striving for coherence like all political formations are um and it sometimes does not achieve that coherence completely so so you know it can completely be true that sort of a lot of the interventions in ethiopia that that um the Q was referring to were absolutely amazing and beneficial to uh, to certain classes uh, uh, over there, and it can also be true that the Belt and Road Initiative is a specific modality of empire that uh, for, uh, empire yet to come. Right. So re- let us remember that the U.S. perfected and learned from various mistakes and violences that uh, that Britain did, right? Britain was building on Spanish and Portuguese violences before that and did not get involved in the kinds of imperial formations that Portugal and Spain were in the 15th and 16th century. And so you see sort of these empires learning from each other. And so what we're talking about is a kind of formation that hasn't quite acquired shape yet, shape in the sense that America circa uh, 1990 acquired, and, and it was a very short stay at the top, and then now it's, we're sort of already in the American decline. So, so I think we may be able to speak more with more nuance about sort of the antinomies and the contradictions internal to China's footprints upon the globe, you know?
0: Okay well thank you for that. Um I guess my question would be what when when we say imperialism we we are talking about a particular kind of political structure and framework. And what that means is where the one country or one set of countries let's say um Their economy relies on the impoverishment of other countries. So the United States and the UK and the EU uh, continue to impoverish other countries. That is how they are the economies in the West uh, manage to be, you know, these sort of um, hyper consumerist uh, economies where we can get uh, all kinds of stuff at the very, mm. very cheap. You know, you can get bananas for 50 cents or 60 cents a pound.
5: To keep that, and yeah.
0: that only happens because people in Guatemala are kept poor by using various structures, including, for example, the IMF, the World Bank, and uh, the policies that are imposed on them, as well as when that, none of those policies work, then they go in and, they, and the United States does a coup d'etat, does these color revolutions. So there's a whole military structure behind that. So that is what is imperialism. Imperialism is not just a one country going and doing trade with another country, even if that is not always at the best uh, terms or is flawed. That is just trade, and that can be good or bad, and that there can be criticisms of that. And that is what I was saying to the previous caller is that there are flaws, there are mistakes that are going to be missteps. There's, these things are made up of human beings. And um, there are going to be issues with that, and I think that there's definitely nuance that I was uh, that I was talking about. That's exactly what I was referring to. Um, however, China being an empire, being an imperialist—I mean, first of all, we, none of us has seen the future, so I don't want to go by what is necessarily. You know, this is going to happen. This is what China's thinking. Like I feel like, the, you know, some of that—that when that sort of uh, uh, psychic sort of thinking. Uh, I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but a lot of people in Western media do that. You know, there's a whole industry of China of anti-China propaganda. The United States has uh, actually put away $300 billion a year in anti-China propaganda. Mm-hmm. That's what they, they you know. Absolutely. So so what I'm saying is that, um, that uh, uh, there is so much anti-China propaganda in the United States and Western and English uh, and other Western media that um, it's hard to always see that that is, uh, you know, um, it it is not easy to even see anything positive about China at all. So all we, if if, if you know what I, I mean. Agree. So I don't agree. I don't. Uh, I don't. Um, sorry, I don't disagree that there should be nuance and all of that. I agree with that. And like I said before, there are going to be issues, and there are going to be problems, and there are going to be some, you know, uh, violations and abuses that happen along the way. Uh, but I personally would not. I would not put the BRI anywhere near. Uh, or any what the China is what China doing uh, in terms of that imperialist project? No, because you know the the U.S. If we look at the history of what the U.S. has done in every country that the U.S. Uh, in in the global south, especially like Guatemala, Honduras, Chile, um, um, Brazil, Cuba, you know Nicaragua, Venezuela, Colombia. Uh, that's just the Latin American countries, that all of the West Asian or Middle Eastern countries, right? So literally every country, as well as Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, Yemen, Libya, Somalia, Syria. Let's
5: just, you know, let's just go all the way back to <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, I'm right? just saying that like, if, if, if we their, look at
0: every yeah. single place that the United States has interacted, it has destroyed and desolated the country. That is what imperialism is. It basically sucks out the matter and the energy and the and the resources from one country in order to make another country rich now uh and the other thing is the the united states for example has 800 military bases it's no other country has that china has i think two military bases china, russia has like 10 um no other country comes anywhere near and th- those military bases are not there just you know americans like to think that oh we were invited by all these countries we are there to protect those countries no actually you're there those military bases are there to provide that pressure to continue to uh, mm-hmm. submit to United States economic, you know, uh, empire. So, I mean, what I'm saying is that what China's doing, yes, there are criticisms, I think. Like I said before, if you are for, you know, doing it in good faith and you're doing it to, like, uh, improve... The world of the lives of the working class people in the global south, I want to listen to that criticism. But there are a lot of criticism, $300 billion a year worth of criticism and more, that is coming out of media, and then people get affected by that, right? You open CBC, there's all kinds of anti China stuff. You know, they had the Olympics in, in just like a month or so ago, and there was so much anti China propaganda coming out. People were complaining about how there's, there's somebody serving me food and he's wearing a mask, and it's like, why is that bad? You know, like people were complaining about the weirdest no, stuff. Totally so agree. that's what I'm saying is that I don't disagree yeah. with you. I think yeah, yeah, that yeah. you and I could probably have a, you know, have a chai or something and have a nice discussion about it. <laughs> but like, you know, what I find is that there's so much bad faith stuff out there, you know? So I just want to.
5: Yeah, but I, would, you, would, you, would you not expect, like, I, I, I kind of balk at the expectation that any large scale political formation that aims to or purports to move the, the 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 productive capacities the labor power of millions and billions of people would ever be able to have coherent good faith policies ever right so we, we already sort of Q referred refer to sort of the, the 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 contradictions in in in, in Soviet uh, era Russia, where sort of it fueled, I remember sort of in, in, in India, um, sort of a lot of the school books in government, uh, in government schools were funded by Soviet Russia. In Pakistan, the National Lawami Party, sort of the, the quasi-Maoist uh, leftist uh, political formation in early Pakistan was funded by Soviet money. And and so like it has done a lot of things, Uh, but of course we can sort of think about Czechia and we can think about Hungary and we can think about sort of uh, not so great things. And it's sort of, so so for me, the question of faith is, uh, or good faith or bad faith is immaterial. What you're describing, of course, are the brutalities of American imperialism, which to us loom large because uh, the public sphere in which we participate is so uh, North, North Atlantic, yeah, right? Yeah, no, I don't think so, that's what but, it is. But but, but from uh, Argentina and from no, Pakistan, these things can appear more... No, I don't think, no, I don't think
0: that's what it is. It's not just North American. I mean, in Pakistan, in all over the world, including in Argentina, American hegemony has destroyed these countries. It's not... We're not just saying this because we're in America. And I would... I understand I would, I would, I would that. I would I'm not also, contradicting that. And I'm also that. not saying that China is always acting in good faith. What I'm saying is that people criticizing China are not acting in good faith. And there's $300 billion uh, a year or more going into... It, in in that's the US
5: and and Canada I agree in US and Canada there
0: all over the world that's what i'm saying <laughs> no but is that that
5: no so for instance if you're a baloch worker trying to sort of uh, if you're a baloch worker under the uh, the yoke of pakistani military trying to build this <laughs> belt and road initiative and realize this golden pill so that this high that, that is a problem within pakistan pakistani... that is
0: not china's fault the problems of other countries are not China's fault. How can you happened.
5: disentangle? No, because those
0: countries existed; oh, yeah. those problems existed before before China even made any, you know, deals with any of these countries. I mean, that's
5: actually, like saying that uh, the uh, that's like saying that the uh, the Taliban insurgency is actually Karzai's fault, and it's not the U.S. It, fault. No,
0: no, no, no. The U.S. actually, no. The U.S. McMansion actually thing. funded and armed the Mujahideen, which ultimately became the progenitors of what became the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. That is a different thing. You can't just compare apples to oranges. What I'm saying is the Balochistan issue has been (laughs) an issue since the formation of Pakistan. It has nothing to do with China. That has to do with the way that the British... And the contradictions in Afghanistan have predated the U.S. as well. It has to do with the way that the British partitioned uh, the subcontinent. And so, uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm just saying that, you know, it seems like... um, you know, uh, we're coming maybe from different perspectives. I'm not saying that there isn't something to criticize, but I'm not going to assume that everything is, that China is doing. See, what, what happens is those people who are uh, sort of... Um, there's a lot of this propaganda in the West that just because Western governments are terrible and untrustworthy, that all governments are like that, that all states are bad. And I don't buy into that. Governments I don't aren't buy people. Into that. I mean, governments are made up of people. Corporations are not Governments people, are made right? up of so, people. So corporate governments entities. Governments are not corporate entities. Governments are publicly accountable, and that is the point. That is the point of a government compared to a corporation. Corporations are private entities. Governments can be accountable. Governments can be held accountable. In Cuba and in China, there's neighborhood democracy. People are... Uh, participants in their democracy, uh, all the way from neighborhoods to municipalities, all the way up to, you know, the highest levels. So I think that, you know, I think I would encourage people not to just go by what the West tells us about these countries, and to actually go to those countries and study the internal structures before. So I'm going to ask to move on, because I think we're just repeating ourselves here.
5: Um, I don't think so, but okay, that's fine. All right.
0: Unless you have something new that you want to bring out?
5: Well, I'm just saying that there can be a, a more nuanced and long durée definition is, of mean, imperialism that accounts uh, for... Uh, and, and I think your definition of imperialism is extremely America-centric. No, it's not. It is, a it, Marxist, see... it is a
0: Marxist definition. That's what imperialism is.
5: I know, but Marxism is... <laughs> okay, all right. Well, all right, that's fine. Okay. All thank right, you. Thank you, you for the time. Um,
0: okay, so... Let's take I mean, I I just think that, you know, it is important that we use terminology that actually means something instead of this sort of postmodern everything doesn't nothing has a meaning except for what I personally ascribe to it. The reason I'm using Marxist definitions is because I'm a Marxist and because there are, uh, you know, definitions that have been worked on by, you know, people like Kwame Nkrumah. We should read about neocolonialism by, uh, by Kwame Nkrumah and we should use terminology as it's you know built in a shared system not just like what it means to me personally so I'll just say that. Um, okay let's take the next caller uh, I believe it's S.
2: Uh, Mao is the username go ahead. Oh hi Kieran. Um, I don't really have a question but I was just listening to the other callers and I guess I just wanted to add to the point where uh, the other caller a few colors ago made a really great point about how it's really easy for us people living in the imperial Court to just sit here and criticize other countries where we don't even speak the language, we don't even read, we don't even understand like the nuances or anything, and it kind of reminded me of uh uh I I I have a lot of respect for people like Richard Wolf. He he does he has a lot of good lectures and stuff, but he when it comes to China, he'll he'll say in the same breath like, Oh, I allot everything that China has done in regards to poverty alleviation, but then also in the same breath also criticize China for quote unquote human rights violations in Xinjiang. And I think that kind of just shows the limits of what happens when you don't diversify your news sources, because when I started to read more like state department, uh, sorry, not state department, uh, state-owned media, like CGTN or RT America, uh, or RT in general, I started to realize, oh, there were more other perspectives out there and there are lots of nuances that I myself don't even recognize and I think that when you don't speak Mandarin and you don't live there and you've never been there it's really easy to just sit here and criticize (laughs) and it kind of just shows your chauvinism and I think that's when it really inspired me to learn more languages and to seek out other sources other than just the ones that you get here in the West. And um, yeah, I guess that's all, that's the main point that I wanted to make. And it kind of ties into the last conversation that you guys just had. Um, and, Thank yeah. you. I know you from the Twitter spaces, right? I recognize your voice. Yes. 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 I'm from the Twitter spaces. Hi.
0: <laughs> yeah. We've been holding these amazing Twitter spaces uh, for a few weeks. Um, Thanks to Carl Ja, who started the, the, the trend. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I mean, this is the other thing, is that a lot of people, they don't have any real connection to China. Like, they don't, they've never been there. They've never, they, they don't know people who are living there now, right? They're not, I mean, they're, or, or at least what they're hearing is this sort of Comprador class, which is sort of like, you know, wants to... Um, privatize the banking industry in China which is a socialist uh which is uh socialized under the uh the Ch- the communist party of china but you know they would love for that to be a privatized thing like it is in the west right so then we if if you hear you know you have to look at the class uh position of the people who are making the criticisms and who, what they're saying and why they're saying it who is their um who are they you know who do they work for? Who's their employer? A lot of these uh, sort of NGOs, so called human rights NGOs, are funded by the Ford Foundation or even worse, like Raytheon and one of you know, like ASPI is A-S-P-I. funded by literally the United States State Department and literally large weapons manufacturers. And those are the ones who have the biggest. Um, you know, reports coming out about so-called uh, human rights violations and stuff in Xinjiang. Um, and, yeah, I think that, you know, we have to look deeper than just the initial sort of n- emotional manipulation that takes place in the in Western media and academia, which is that uh, somehow, um, you know, th- the idea is that if they don't tell you that the West is the best, so that, you know, somehow when U.S. Em- bombs Afghanistan and Iraq and Libya and you know, Syria and Yemen, that's OK. But when Russia does it to Ukraine, that's bad uh, or something, you know, even like something remotely close to it, which actually I was reading that Russia in the last uh, month has not used as many bombs as the United States did in Iraq in one day. Think about that. OK, so I'm just saying that the the destruction that the United States and, and UK and British and European countries have brought to the world has like there is no comparison. There is apps. if anybody who's, if anybody is saying that what China is doing is anywhere near that, they have not studied actual Western imperialism. For them, imperialism is just a word that just means uh, anything bad that happens that I don't like, or anything I can't explain. And a lot of the, a lot of us are also taught that, well, if we don't, if we cannot bank on Western superiority anymore, then at the very least, we're going to try to say that everybody is equally bad. All humans are equally bad. All humans are evil. Uh, imperialism is just what happens to all people when they're in power. You know, these kind of like sweeping universalist statements, um, they also serve to basically shelter and shield uh, Western imperialism and hegemony and white supremacy. Because when we're saying that everybody is equally bad and everybody's equally liable to be, you know, corrupted or whatever, we're basically making excuses for the for the guys who are the worst at it, you know? Oh hey, Q's back. Hey Q.
1: Mayo, Mayo. Sorry okay. about that.
0: Um, so we're just uh, dealing with this sort of idea that China is equally bad as the United States, or that China is imperial. Oh come
1: on now. You know,
0: I mean. No. Nah.
1: Well, it's. Uh, I guess like the. Um, even if you believed that, then what can you do about it? You know what I mean? Like even if you actually believed that China was equally as bad as the United States then what are you, as somebody who lives within the Imperial Corps, supposed to do about it? Are you saying, okay, so if they're equally as bad, does it make sense then for the United States to enact sanctions, uh, tariffs, other economic measures? Does it make sense for the United States to have a military presence in Taiwan, does it make sense for people in the United States to send money to reactionary uh, protesters in Hong Kong? Does it make sense to exacerbate their conflict with Japan? Like, so what, is, what does that mean? Like, what what, is, what are we supposed to do about that? Because if the answer to China, if the answer to whether China is just as bad is yes, then if it's just as bad, then why is it the immediate reaction is to then support the other side that we find as bad to do more bad things. You know what I mean?
0: Well, I think that a lot of the people in the West have this sort of, um, there's this sort of, especially in academia, this postmodernist, uh, anarchistic sort of idea that if I just admit, if I just can just say verbally, no, they're just as bad. You know, like if I just need to blurt out, like somehow that makes me morally superior to the person that I'm criticizing or to the China or to whatever. And I think that, you know, I'm not saying that that's what the caller was saying. I'm not saying that's what you were saying, Abu Janine. I'm saying that I find this a lot where people feel that even if when you ask that question, well, let's say that Russia or China or Venezuela or Cuba are as bad as your government and your academia and your media tell you they are, right? What do you want to do about it? They're like, they'll say something like, oh, I just want to be able to condemn them because I, I you know, I, I, we have to condemn them. We have to condemn them. And I'm like, you know, what does that mean? What does, I mean? So you said it let's say you even said it that what, you have now contributed to the people who believe that story that the media and all these people are telling them you have added to that imperialist narrative and at the and maybe you have also include you know uh pushed along the imperialist project you know to, and, and you haven't made any difference to the people in those countries you haven't made any difference to the government of those countries all you, you've done is strengthen the narrative of the imperialists and to me that that's all that that seems to have uh, you know that that's all that seems to happen there you still with
1: us, Q? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, have I, you read? Have you read? Have you read? By the way, um, the book uh, "Propaganda" by the uh, the French philosopher uh, Jacques Ellul. I have
2: not.
1: Okay, so it's like it's a really good book, and I would highly recommend it. Um, but uh, you know, in in the uh, the foreword of the book, uh, or rather the the preface of the book, um, it was the foreword. In the preface of the book, which was written by Conrad Kellen, you know, he he outlines like not only um, how ELO uh, formulates his theory of, of propaganda, but talks about um, like how it actually functions. And he, he talks about like how, you know, educated people tend to be the most susceptible to propaganda. And the way he, he lays it out is this. He says, a related point uh, central in ELO's thesis is that modern propaganda cannot work without education, quote unquote. He thus reverses the widespread notion that education is the best prophylactic Uh, against propaganda on the contrary he says education or what usually goes by that word in the modern world is the absolute prerequisite for propaganda in fact education is largely identical with what lo calls pre-propaganda the conditioning of minds with vast amounts of incoherent information already dispensed for ulterior purposes and posing as quote-unquote facts and quote-unquote education Ello follows through by designating intellectuals as virtually the most vulnerable of all to modern propaganda for three reasons. One, they absorb the largest amount of secondhand unverifiable information. Two, they feel a compelling need to have an opinion on every important question of our time, which is why I always say you don't have to have a forward facing opinion on everything. And thus, uh, easily succumb to opinions offered to them by propaganda on all such indigestible pieces of information. And three, they consider themselves capable of judging for themselves. They literally need propaganda. In fact, the need for propaganda on the part of the propagandee is one of the most powerful elements of Elo's thesis. Cast out of the disintegrating microgroups of the past, such as family, church, or village, the individual is plunged into mass society and thrown back upon his own inadequate resources, his isolation, his loneliness, his ineffectuality. Propaganda then hands him in veritable abundance what he needs, a raison d'être. Personal involvement and participation in important events—an outlet and excuse for some of his more doubtful impulses. Righteousness—all factitious, to be sure, all more or less spurious. But he drinks it all in and asks for more. Without this intense collaboration by the propagandee, the propagandist would be helpless. And this is a steady and—it's—it's uh, uh, it's a fairly steady. And a fairly succinct encapsulation of the pundit class and the academic class that would want to tell you that, quote, unquote, China is just as bad, not because they are academics and they're smart and they know better, but because their need to have an opinion on everything outweighs the importance of filtering the information as to whether it's actually true or not.
0: Wow. That, I need that book. <laughs> I need that book. <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, you know what? Hey, uh, yeah, hit me up afterwards. I'll send you a copy.
0: Um, that is exactly oh, that? it. What's oh called? my god,
1: it's uh, it's called "Propaganda: The Formation of Men's Attitudes" by Jacques Ellul, uh, who is a uh, Thank
0: um, you. how do you yeah, spell no the
1: last name? No Ellul. Jacques Ellul.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I mean, this is, uh, this is an issue. This is a serious issue. And, and, and with the, uh, that's why I say the the sort of postmodernist academia and as well as the media, you know, so like th- this narrative is, is, is so, so just prevalent in all of these spaces. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, did
2: you want to add anything else S? Uh, Not really. I guess I just wanted to add to the point that I was making about seeking uh, alternative sources and actually not writing off state media is that uh, there's a lot that gets lost in translation. So I try to keep that in mind. Like I'm somebody who also speaks Vietnamese and there are literal lots of vocabulary phrases (laughs) and words that are literally untranslatable to English. So I... I try to keep that in mind when I read um, translated books and articles and stuff like that. And I'm sure that anybody who speaks multiple languages can can empathize with that.
0: Um, I'm gonna ask you to come up as speaker, if that's okay. Um, just because I know I've I've heard you speak in the spaces that we've had. So if you're interested, you can just come on up. And uh, I know I, I don't know how I don't think we're gonna stay here for too much longer. But let's just uh, have you up here if you want. Um, and, and also, I, I've also wanted, I also wanted to say, like, people really need to watch CGTN and, like, China Daily and some of these, like, I know for a fact, I know for a fact that CGTN,
4: I-P-T-V.
0: yeah, and CGTN, people are like, oh, that's state TV. First of all, man, you watch CNN.
1: Oh, no, no, no. I was saying, like, like, ditch your cable and get IPTV. You can literally get every channel in the world. yeah I pay I think I pay like um like ninety dollars for the year, and I literally have every single channel like 90 every channel. for the year, and so I. Not, huh? For the year,
0: yeah. really. Hmm. For the year. Okay. Whole year. Whole last year. Um, but I was just gonna say that CGTN uh, and, yeah. has like constantly has people on who are critical of the Chinese government, who are critical of China's policies. They constantly have debates about this stuff. Like people think that there's no nothing like that happening in China. And they have it in English. I'm sure they have it in Mandarin and other languages too. But I'm just saying in English, you can go and watch. You can go watch right now on YouTube or you get the CGTN app and watch it live. There's all kinds of debates happening all the time. And they almost always, within the debates, have people who are arguing for, you know, a sort of anti-whatever... Whatever you think the CCP propaganda might be, you know they they they're having these discussions. Like I mean, it's it's fucking stupid for for people to think that like there's no there's no such thing happening in Chinese media. It's like it just tells me you've never actually paid attention, and all you know is from like Western media. Um, yeah. Jay, do you want to go ahead?
9: Hey, what's up? Um, I just had a question for you guys. Um, I'm curious about this idea of um, a Marxist definition of imperialism. That the state government of China would not fit. To me, I would think that I would categorize the state government of China as an imperial power on the world stage. Now, how do
0: you define imperialism?
1: How would it qualify as an imperialism or an imperialist your definition state? Of
9: imperialism. A policy of, of extending the country's power or influence through either diplomacy or military force?
0: Well, I mean, so.
9: I mean, like, what do you think is the, what do you think is the motivation for projects
1: like the Belt and Road? The Belt and Road initiative, though, is like, okay, so I think it's very hard sometimes for people to, um, without working Marxist definitions of things, to categorize properly. So, for example, people called Russia imperialist for its invasion of Ukraine, which You know, we can go back and forth as to whether it was justified or not. I don't think that that's the important part. I think what's important is if you want to categorize it as imperialist, then from a working Marxist definition, you should be able to show such. And the problem is the act of war is not simultaneously the act of imperialism, like uh, sending your military into a country that you are in conflict with does not automatically qualify as imperialism. The idea of what the country may do afterwards once the the war is settled, if they win, that is not imperialism. Imperialism is in the actions that are undertaken after uh, the war is settled. And hegemony, uh, according to like the Gramscian definition, has nothing to do with the use of force. As a matter of fact, hegemony operates absent the use of force. Because your power is so complete that you do not need to use, you don't have to exercise force in order to get the result that you want. But to go to um, Lenin's definition, uh, and you know, I, I like I, you know that I always have, met, have my citations at hand, right? So my shit was like it was it was it was ready. Like I got the shit bookmarked, right? So number one, the concentration of production and capital has developed. These are these are the basic features that Lenin uh, describes for imperialism, uh, and this is taken uh, from. Uh, from the book imperialism the highest stage of capitalism so number one the concentration of production and capital has developed to such a high stage that it has created monopolies which play a decisive role in economic life two the merging bank of capital with industrial capital uh, the merging of bank capital with industrial capital and the creation on the basis of this finance capital of a financial oligarchy three the export of capital, so as this pause
9: right there. I
1: mean, wouldn't China fit that that one right there? Let me let me get through it, and then we'll discuss three. Okay. The export of capital, as distinguished from the export of commodities, acquires exceptional importance. Four. The formation of international monopolist capitalist associations, which share the world among themselves, and five. The territorial division of the whole world among the biggest capitalist powers is completed imperialism is capitalism at that stage of development at which the dominance of monopolies and finance capital is established in which the export of capital has acquired pronounced importance in which the division of the world among the international trusts has begun in which the division of all territories of the globe among the biggest capitalist powers has been completed now it's not a matter of whether you think one or the other may qualify according to you know uh, what it sounds like to you It's that these are the five basic features that comprise imperialism not as to whether you can point to one and say, Well, this kind of sounds like it. It's no, these these are the five features that have to exist in order for it to qualify as imperialism. By
9: by by a definition. I mean, couldn't you say that holding this one definition, which I think is fair to say is a pretty specific and No, narrow the definition. whole thing
1: was the whole the whole like those five basic features are the definition. So what he says like these are the like these are the following five features of imperialism when you have these five things you have imperialism that's so, a like,
9: def, that that could be a definition of imperialism i also laid out a definition of imperialism
0: as where's well where's your definition
1: but where's, it, but where's so the so yes yeah, so what i was to say like where where does it come from is like what what is it based on
9: I mean I think it's probably based more so on how people actually use the word
0: which people where you know like you have some this is the issue is that we we have have citation some like there you know the human knowledge is based on building on the knowledge that has come before us. Like we don't just randomly pull things out of the air. We have to be able to cite our sources. We have to be able to say, Well, this is what I'm basing my thing on, my framework. And and I think that, you know, the the sort of this is what I meant when I said that there's this post-modernist idea in academia, which tells us that we don't have to do any of that. We just can just pull things out of the air. Everything is just random and sort of floating around. And I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but that is what that sort of that is a mindset we're all kind of taught to believe that we don't have to cite our sources. We can just believe like, oh, it's just common sense. What's common sense? What is it? Com-? You know what I mean? Like we have to well, see
9: like I'm coming from a place where it feels like, you know, you- there is a a more modern technocratic way in which governments operate on the world stage and i'm kind of just trying to make the point that to me it feels like the definition that you're using while it may, may be well cited in academia could be outdated and worth
0: updating oh, it's not it's, to, not, a, it's a, not an academic for. definition that's what i'm trying to tell you is that it is a it is a it's like saying like um like there's a there's a certain like way to make something like a lasagna but then like if you make it completely differently that's not really lasagna that might be something else and it might be useful to look at it but it's not i mean know.
9: this is a fallacy you're doing an argument no, to authority there's no one person who can well oh my god
1: please don't, don't yeah don't do don't do we're not we're not going to do, do debate post i'm just going to shut that down immediately we're not doing debate i mean you made
9: stuff, an yeah. academic you're asking me to cite my source well, i'm saying we're do that source, that's a fallacy it's not it's
0: not a
1: it's not a fallacy it's sim- okay so like i'm gonna put this if i was to if i was to just make up a word right and i expect everybody to like i don't know abide by the definition of that word then it has to be rooted in something um okay for example like when uh the word meme was created right richard dawkins you could you could attribute the word meme to richard dawkins now what is a meme uh, i mean it's rooted in the uh, the french word mem which means the same but what is it functionally? I think we all know what a meme is, but if you're looking for the definition of the word meme, you would look to the original Dawkins definition, right? Like you don't just describe a meme as like, I don't know, uh, the color of the paint on my ceiling. you That's
9: actually a great example. Yeah, if you wanted to get into memetics and the history yeah. of that word, I think that it is very interesting, truly. I, I'm aware of this, but I would also say that to pretend, like let's take the word upstairs, a word from Shakespeare, like people attribute it to him. Like the way that people use the word meme is not in any way related to, it does not reflect what they're talking about when they talk about a meme they saw on Instagram. While there is a relation and definitely an origin in memetics, they're not talking about memetics. And I think, well, that, I mean, they you know, are because even, because even the way that we use the word meme specific, if I could just finish this point, you're taking sure. a hyper specific definition. And that's a great example to me because I feel we are not, we're now living in a technocratic world where a meme now has a technocratic meaning that has now evolved. Well,
1: no, but we, it, the meaning is the same. So, all meme means, uh, at least from uh, when Richard Dawkins wrote The Selfish Gene, what he's talking about is a whether there's an aspect, there's cultural information, there's genetic information, but all of this, like, there, it's information that is spread by the process of imitation, right? So, We know that the way that we define meme, even if we are, I don't know, like uh, just having a uh, shitposting conversation about the way way things are created on the internet, it's still huge to the original definition. It's information spread by imitation, right? Now, where it comes to the word imperialism, like you can, I don't know, make up your own definition as to what imperialism is, and we can then like define it so broadly that it ends up losing meaning, which does often happen um, in the kind of like postmodern world that we live in, where it's not a matter of how it is defined or what are the facets that comprise it, but simply how do we feel about it? Uh, so yeah, when you, when you say that, well, I'm not sure, uh, you know, I'm defining it based on, um, what I see or what people talk about. It's like, no, it doesn't really work that way. Like we're talking about sociopolitics. We're not talking about, I don't know, like, uh, network TV or something, right? Like if we're going to get into, a conversation about geopolitics and a conversation about how uh, social orders are constructed. Then it is kind of necessary to use a working definition of the word so that we're at least on the same page.
9: Yeah, well, I I, I think that's a good point. You know, I called in to try to get a better understanding because I was unfamiliar with the Marxist definition that you provided. So thanks for having that on hand because I think sure. I, I mean a and one you know like
1: and and the only like it's not as if. There is only one definition for imperialism, right? There are many definitions. Oh, for I agree. I, I yeah. think
9: I also laid one out that I. Right, didn't...
1: like there. Well, I mean, again, but it's not a matter of whether you are capable of um coming up with a description for imperialism. It's also a matter of okay, but what is that based on? Well, I, so I, that's, I gave it the yeah.
9: Webster definition of imperialism.
1: Okay, so th- the definition of an imperial of imperialism. These least the most popular one. Uh, that is not based on the Marxist definition That's tends correct. to come from uh, thinkers like Max Weber, right? Um, and Max Weber uh, was the author of uh, The um, uh, the product, the Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. Frankly, I think it was probably his weakest piece of work. But, I mean, he does come up with some ideas as to what capitalism is, how it forms, uh, and then what comprises of, what comprises of imperialism. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that if you are going to, first of all, like in order to say that from a political sense and a geopolitical sense that China is imperialist, you're pointing to, there is a definition that exists for imperialism and China fits that category. All right, cool. I'm open to having that conversation. But then in order for me to agree with you, I have to find out from you, okay, so what is the working definition of imperialism that you're working with and so you're, if you're just saying, saying
9: well, the definition that i provide is not working
1: what i'm saying is if the definition you got was from webster's dictionary webster's dictionary also gets it from somewhere so it's like just because it exists in the dictionary like when a like a sociopolitical concept exists it, it wasn't it didn't just like spring up out of the ground it didn't it wasn't pulled from the air it it's an agreed upon consensus that came from somewhere So generally what will happen for definitions like these is that there will be different schools of thought, whether like academic, political or whatever, in which people are able to come to an agreement as to how a particular phenomena is defined. And I think it's always important to ground whatever it is we're talking about in, all right, who is defining it and under what circumstances, then we can talk about whether or not we agree. So generally, I hew to the, the Marxist definition. I know that there are other definitions, but I don't know that i necessarily agree with them partially because the way that they are defined is done so so loosely that it it creates an equation between actual imperialist powers and other powers that not only are not practicing imperialism but are not capable of practicing imperialism and it's defined so loosely that it's simply there is an exercise of power that's taking place and we should do something about it and i think that's not a to me not a useful way of looking at the world because you don't have any solid principles upon which you can struggle against a power imbalance and oftentimes it's defined so loosely that you end up struggling against a power that you see as foreign a power that you see as threatening on behalf of the major imperialist powers so you know in in these conversations there you know in the scramble for africa there was talks about how empires in Africa were being formed and there was a humanitarian reason to stop their spread because they were killing one another. And it was incumbent on the powers of Europe uh, to stop the spread of these imperialist powers, to stop the flow of, uh, of guns. That is like, you know, cannons and rifles, etc., to stop the flow of guns into the African continent. And it was the responsibility of those former um, slave powers to then set the proper example for the new century that was coming upon us, the the, 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 uh, the 20th century, um, by essentially civilizing these people and bringing these empires to heal. And what was the result of that? The scramble for Africa. Would we define that as imperialism? Yes. The scramble for Africa was imperialism that justified itself through stopping <laughs> imperialism. Well, but I, I appreciate
9: taking the call and, and taking my question and, and providing me uh, the length and um focus on your response so it's greatly appreciated um i'm gonna write an academic paper on a new uh, definition of imperialism (laughs) once i get accepted so uh, i'll I'll look
1: forward to it all right i'll get
9: back to you once that's published
1: but thanks all right sounds good all right take it easy all right karen um so wow we've been going for like two and a half hours and i think i am
7: wow
1: yeah i know it's a really interesting conversation too yeah, um, and I, I love I love it when uh, you know when folks try to try to test my metal. You know, this is this is what I do. <laughs>
0: no, I mean I think that there are you know it is not um, we are taught like you just said that you know this sort of e- ephemeral idea of ideas existing you know untethered to anything else, and and that is a very liberal. You know, construct, you know, that's ideas that we don't have to go back and trace where we got our ideas from because, well, um, this is just my idea. It came from within me. You know, I just imaginary, my my collective imagination came up with it. And it's just that's such a I used to be like that, man. I get it. None of us. (laughs)
1: None of us are immune to propaganda.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, But yeah, I do have to go because I've got to do show prep for the unredacted show. So just want to say big thanks to all of our callers, everybody that, uh, you know, had the courage to hop on up and have a conversation with us. And I certainly hope that, you know, when we're back next week, Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, that we can engage in more interesting conversations.
0: Can can I just really quickly read a couple of comments that are in the chat? Because I know people are asking for that. All right, go ahead. Um, So the Sport profit the sport prohet. I'm not sure if that's what, how you spell that or how you pronounce that. They said that, uh, the methodological failure of postmodern philosophy is that it depends on the consensus of groups to articulate what is, or is not true. Imper- empirically false. Yeah, exactly. Postmodernism. We can have another talk about that another day. Yeah.
1: You know, I really um, would love to have a, like a chat on postmodernism and just yeah. like how, how like brain fucked it's made us, um, oh over the last half century.
0: Yeah. And then, uh, let's say, Still Can't Drive said, I think it's important to note that when Emma, ML's reference, well, Marxist-Latinist reference imperialism, it includes what's built on it by other Marxists since the original book came out, for example, N- Kwame Nkrumah. Exactly. Right. Yes. Um, okay, and there's some great comments um, in here, so I don't want to go all the way back, but, you know, good, that was a good discussion. So thank you, everybody who participated, and please do come back on Tuesday, tell your friends, share the links, and follow us on Twitter and whatnot. So uh, hopefully we'll talk to you next time.
1: All right, I'll see you soon.
0: Bye. Bye.